Hey everyone, it's uh, Sunday morning, December 20th, 2020. My name is Ben Reiser, and um, I'm sitting here trying to decide what the maybe the hardest thing I've ever tried to do uh, might be. Uh, this uh, introduction I'm recording is right up there. Uh, a week ago, last Sunday morning, I was busy prepping for the episode of this podcast that you're about to hear. My uh, beloved co-host, Mike McPadden, had come up with um, ideas for two holiday, like end-of-year episodes. And one of those episodes was going to be a New Year's Eve special covering the Poseidon Adventure with uh, returning guests uh, and best friends Chad Polari and Alan Broadman, a.k.a. Fischl Bocephus. Uh, and so we had arranged that to record uh, later this month. But then the other one, the one that I was getting ready for last Sunday, was uh, an examination of ice castles with his sister Katie and my wife Katie as special guests. And then he was also going to try to reach out to his friend Katie Reif for an episode that surely would have been called uh, Once, Twice, Three Times a Katie um, but then my sister Annie reminded me what a huge Ice Castles fan she was. And so I went back to Mike and suggested that we do the Ice Castles episode with our two sisters instead uh, and call it Switchblade Sisters as an homage to the 1975 Jack Hill film Switchblade Sisters and the uh, fantastic Red Cross song Switchblade Sister. Uh, he loved that idea, and so we set it up. And in a minute, you're going to hear that episode. Anyway, we had um, a fantastic time reminiscing with our sisters. And this episode turned out exactly the way we hoped that our show would always be. Uh, like a mix of uh, nostalgia and film criticism and uh, an exploration of our, um, our friendship and our childhoods in Brooklyn and a chance to reconnect with all kinds of people from our past and a and a chance to spend uh, quality time with each other and hopefully um, entertain the shit out of whoever decided to drop in and listen. So, uh, anyway, we recorded the episode and and later, later last Sunday in the afternoon, I texted him and said, well, that was a lot of fun. And he uh, texted back and said, totally great, uh, with like three exclamation points. Um... And then the next day I got an email from him with his bullet point list of, of Ice Castle's promo text, which is the stuff that we use to promote the show on social media when we post the episodes on Facebook and Twitter and um, Instagram. And, it, and it's also the description of the show that appears um, on whatever platform you're listening to this on. Uh, those are always written by Mike, or 90, 95% of the time are written by Mike. And they're always fantastic. Uh, and these notes are hilarious and perfect. And I'm, I'm so glad that he sent them to me because sometimes I had to hit him up for them after I was done mixing the show and was ready to post it. And But last week, it was a busy week for me at work. And so I, I hadn't started to mix the show yet. And so I hadn't bugged him about it. But he just surprised me the next day after the recording by sending me these notes, uh, which I thanked him for because they are wonderful. So then, um, it was two days later, Wednesday morning, uh, I got an email from Mike's sister, Katie, who'd been on the show with us, um, asking me to call her, uh, 
which I did. And when I made the call, I really assumed that what she wanted to talk to me about was um, maybe that she had said something on the podcast that she didn't, that she regretted saying or something and wanted me to cut it out. Um, that happens occasionally. And uh, so when I called her and and she said that uh, her brother had died earlier that morning, it, it totally didn't register in my brain. And, and she kept talking, uh, giving me some details. Uh, and after about a minute, I, I, I had to interrupt and say, wait, wait. You're saying Mike died? I mean, they have another brother, a uh, younger brother, John. And uh, I mean, I didn't, I, I just, I, it was unimaginable what she was telling me. And, um, but uh, that's what she was telling me. So I, I haven't actually looked up the different stages of grief. I think I'm still in the one uh, where you walk around in a daze and you find yourself crying every 10 minutes and your head is pounding and you don't get much sleep and you're just going uh, through the motions. But um, every day gets a little bit better and every day it becomes a little bit easier to look at things in a, in a glass half full kind of way. Um, this past year with Mike, rekindling our friendship in a major way and getting to spend all this time with him laughing and talking and laughing and laughing and just like it was 1989 all over again, but better, much better. I, I wouldn't trade this last year with him for anything. And I, and I get the sense that all the people in his life uh, who were close to him f felt the same way. Um, Mike was in, in the best... Uh, in the best place in his life that I'd ever seen him, and it was a great place, um, an amazing place to sort of hang out with him in. Um, he was firing on all cylinders, and everything was coming together for him. Uh, not, not, not that he hadn't been successful, but I'm just saying this was an especially uh, fertile period of creativity and productivity and success. Um, there's a uh, there's a GoFundMe campaign benefiting his amazing beloved wife Rachel, and you can find a link for that fund below this week's uh, show notes. Mike and Rachel have recently become foster parents to a spectacular baby girl, and Mike's last two months on Earth were spent uh, for the first time in his life as a father. And I could tell from all the texts and all the pictures that he sent and the guest appearances that this baby made on our Zoom calls before our episodes would officially start. Uh, all that made it abundantly clear that he was an amazing dad, which uh, would probably come as no surprise to anyone who knew Mike. Um, as the outpouring of love that I've received this week and, and it's all over social media and the internet for you to see and read, Mike was not only brilliant and hilarious but he was kind and generous and as warm-hearted and supportive and inspiring a guy as you could ever hope to meet um anyway so please check out that gofundme and if you can donate uh to rachel and uh her baby uh that would be uh that would be something that mike would really have appreciated I'll have a lot more to say about Mike at some point. Aaron, Lee, 
his crackpot cinema co-host and Kat Ellinger, Mike's partner in crime on so many projects. Uh, and I will get to, we'll get together and talk about Mike and pay proper tribute to him. And we'll share that with you as soon as, uh, we can pull ourselves together to do it. And I don't even know how many things Mike has recorded in the can commentary tracks and other podcasts and guest appearances on other people's podcasts, uh, that haven't seen the light of day yet. I, I know even just the ones that I've done with him, um, there's that five corners commentary track that we did together that I think is out now. Uh, yeah, but there's also one for shadow of the Hawk, uh, which is yet to be, be released. Um, uh, and I know there are other, lots of other commentary tracks that I recorded for him that he did with, with cat and, uh, one that he did with, um, with his book publisher, Ian, um, and so there's plenty more Mike out there yet to enjoy, even if you've heard or seen everything that uh, has been released so far. So uh, you haven't heard the, the the last of Mike, and of course his books, his brilliant books, uh, will always be out there to read and reread. Um, in the meantime, here it is, the last podcast Mike and I recorded. We couldn't have been any happier with the way it turned out. And if you're like me, you'll enjoy this and all of our other podcasts even more if you watch the movie we're talking about before you listen. So if you haven't seen uh, Robbie Benson and Lynn Holly Johnson in Ice Castles, I suggest that you just pause right here. Uh, go watch the movie. Uh, it's out there. Uh, and then come back and listen after you watch it. Uh, don't worry. We'll still be here waiting for you and so now without any further ado here is 70 movies we saw in the 70s episode 25 switchblade sisters on ice castles ladies and gentlemen in a moment we will witness something never seen before in the history of athletic competition we remember her as a promising Olympic contender who suffered a tragic setback last season. You're not good enough for a triple. Triples may be big crowd pleasers, but to world-class judges, it's just a piece of show-off acrobatics. You're not good enough. She blind her, isn't she? At least now she reports seeing some light and shadows. Tonight, she stands before you. Ready to compete again. Do an Axel. No! What are you doing? Shut up! Can't you do it without the TV cameras? He took a lot of pain. I hate you. I really hate you. It's pointless and cruel. Not trying is pointless and cruel. Not trying is wondering your whole life if you gave up too soon. You wanted to find a way out. Nobody's going to blame a helpless invalid for giving up. Isn't that what you were thinking when you took that jump? It took a lot of courage. Well, I did that when I could see. Damn it, Marcus. Give her a chance to be something. She is something. It took a lot of strength. Oh, baby. And most of all... You did a double. 
it took a lot of love. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back a very brave young athlete, Alexis Winston. Robbie Benson. Lynn Holly Johnson. In the story of a girl who refused to forget that she was once a champion. Here we go. This is a very special holiday edition, a family gathering of 70 movies we saw in the 70s. And uh, I am uh, Mike McPadden. I am the author of Heavy Metal Movies and Teen Movie Hell, and I will introduce my special guest. Uh, Katie McPadden Mullaney is a renowned teacher and education professional who had the supreme privilege of growing up in the same house as me. She is my uh, sister, who is two and a half years younger than I am. She is now the mother of two kids I love very much, Molly and Leo Mullaney. Katie wrote a counterpoint review of 16 Candles for my book, Teen Movie Hell, that my meanie editor, Ian Christie, took out for space. And that's ironic because her son, Leo, calls, prank calls me pretending to be my editor on a regular basis to give me book <laughs> ideas like, Mike, just do a book that's all pictures of butts. <laughs> Or I'd only use the word penalize. Penalize, yes. So so thanks for being here, Katie. And now I'll hand it over to Madison, Wisconsin. Where uh, your your pal, your longtime pal, Ben Reiser, is here with you. Uh, ben Reiser of um, UW-Madison Fame and Fortune, UW Cinematheque, Wisconsin Film Festival, blah, 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 blah. Uh, I have a question before I introduce my special guest. So, has that counterpoint essay ever been published anywhere else, like no, Facebook? We're or? saving it no. for the oh, you're second edition. It. Second edition. That's yeah. Oh, I, I didn't even know that. That's fantastic. Yes. He did thank me. He thanked yes. all the people that were cut, and I did make that list in the back of the book. Are you going to put in? There was that one. There was that one write up. Hollywood that you forgot. Yes, yes. Yes. Second. When is the second edition coming out? That's why. Oh, as soon as everybody keeps buying copies of the book. We just went into the third printing of heavy metal movies, but please, we're off track. All right. Well, my special guest is also my sister, one of my two sisters, but the sister uh, who, when I mentioned I was going to be doing a podcast about ice castles, her eyes lit up like a Christmas tree or a Hanukkah <laughs> bush. Um, or an because, ice castle. Or an ice castle. Oh, Thank perfect. you. <laughs> Annie Reiser, uh, who... Uh, had a had a long glorious run with first run features. Oh, oh God. No, don't talk about that. I mean, <laughs> well, that was so long to, ago. I'm trying, to put, I'm trying to put together your cinephilic uh, bona fides okay. as we. Okay. That was a long time ago. Now she's working for the what is it? The Modern Language Association. Don't don't talk about any of your work. Okay. <laughs> Annie is a is a is a film fan through and through, and especially for this film. 
Um, and I, I'm so excited to have her here. Uh, we talked about having my wife, Katie, uh, talk about this film today. And it was going to be Katie and Katie. Uh, but then when Annie, uh, when her eyes lit up, I thought, oh, wait a minute. Maybe this is even more symmetrical if we do Mike and Ben and their sisters. So here we are to talk you about. You came up with a great title for this episode, the Swishblade Sisters. Yeah, which is maybe only funny if you know the movie and or the Red Cross song, Switchblade Sister. So, but uh, I'm hoping that I also like that you guys are in the Midwest and Anna and I are in the same place. Right. You guys are holding down the uh, the homestead for us while we have wandered. So, yeah. Where uh, where are you in Brooklyn, Annie? I'm in Kensington. Oh, no. Well, oh, good. Katie, where are you? I'm in Park Slope, so I'm yeah. right near you. Yeah. And oh. I definitely spend a lot of time hanging in Flatbush. Okay. Like all of our old stomping grounds. I still go there with the new group who has moved in there. Are you talking about Lenny and John's? Yeah. No, I'm talking about Cortelli Road is happening. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow. I do well, go to Lenny and John's, but yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on on Cortelli Road. I hang out at the House Gallery, which is now defunct as of, you know, the plague. That's what happened. Uh, they couldn't keep it going because you can't have nudes online. And it was like a nude drawing session. Oh, you damn. would go, cost 10 bucks. She, the artist, Heather, had it in her house on East 17th Street. It was awesome. Uh, I move away and this happens. Damn. Let me understand <laughs> this. You would go there and just look at nude people? No, I would draw. It was oh. a gallery. Yes. No, I did not just go to look at new Because <laughs> there were other businesses in Brooklyn. <laughs> Second Avenue. No. It was yeah. called House Gallery. She was an artist. She is an artist, I should say. And my dear friend, and she has now moved west, but she had the house gallery and she would have people over and for 10 bucks, you got all the wine you could drink, your nude model, Damn. We all the supplies we would draw. And then every once in a while, she'd have a show and then we'd end up on uh, Cortelli Road at Sycamore. Right. It's happening. You guys moved west too early. Well, I knew that already. But uh, <laughs> uh, and Mike's got a, a, a sort of a, an outline for the show yes. today. But I want to jump right in and, and interrupt that outline. And yeah. I want to say that I uh, somehow managed to avoid, and some of it was deliberate, and some of it was just like, well, you know, I don't know why. But I never saw Ice Castles. Wow. <laughs> it's not a movie that I saw in the 70s. It's a movie that I think I studiously avoided in the 70s and then somehow never caught up to, although there have been a time or two where I feel like I've watched the opening credits and then just never been able to uh, sit for the rest of it for one reason or another. But I'm wondering, Katie and Annie, can you tell us when, if you remember, the first time you saw Ice Castles and, and talk about its impact on your lives? Okay. Um, I'm going to need my brother to help me. So one of the things is my brother is older. And we spent a lot of time together watching TV. Yes. So we had like always the 430 movie. You know, we watched a lot of the million dollar movie. We at our grandmother's house, we had like the Disney Sunday night Disney movies. So I can't I don't know when exactly the first time I saw it was, but I remember seeing it like a hundred thousand times. I am going to digress for one second because I listened to the Jeremy episode and I heard Mike mention that. He referred to Ice Castles as our movie, and it definitely is one of our movies. But I was a little surprised because I really consider our number one uh, Planet of the Apes. Sure. We dressed up yeah. as Planet of the Apes 
when I was five and Katie was three. Yeah, we were Zira and Cornelius, yeah. which my mother then used that picture. Jean used that picture for uh, my shower invitation when I got married. And um, the our other movie, which I really think has lasted the longest with us, Mike, is um, Over the Edge. Well, when we talk about the movie, Over the Edge comes up. So hang on to oh, your fantastic. top of because your skull. That's, that's really, I was also like, Also Rock and Roll the, High School, I think. was Well, it. Rock and Roll High School, because we had half days on Wednesdays and we owned that movie yeah. on VHS. So we watched that constantly and we watched uh, Star Trek, the original yeah. one. So, well, I don't remember. Do you remember the exact time I would I say it was, uh, my guess is that it was an NBC Sunday night movie. I, I still think it was. Uh, and it might have been 1980, because usually it took two years for theatrical movies to get. It might even be a little later, because this movie actually opened in 79, even though it got like the, it's officially a 78 movie. It got the one week Academy Award qualifying run. Um so I would say 81 probably. And then it was a regular perennial on Channel 11, which is where we saw it. And But we would watch it all, all the time. The time. Yeah. I mean, it was like acting I, it yeah, out. I yeah. cannot and get we would, out. We would make fun of her tripping over the flowers. <laughs> every time. Every time. And it was so bad. And I have to say that I showed it to my teenage daughter, part of it, and she couldn't stop laughing. She said, but I feel bad, like laughing at that part, you know, but she's a teenager. Um, but we watched it constantly, and I have to say, as a kid, my perception of it was that Lexi was kind of whiny, which I didn't really understand because she was, uh, in my mind, she was like this older person. I mean, at some point, she dates a 35-year-old <laughs> in the movie, so it's like I thought, you know, what's her problem? Why is, her, why is Tom Scarrett, her dad, carrying her out of the car? And watching it as an adult, I was like, holy cow, she was a kid. You know, she was like a like a baby. Yeah, at she's really tiny. Yeah, yeah. And she's like a kid, yeah, like an innocent like kid. kid. So yeah. those that was like my big perception. I loved it though. I have to say, it stands the test of time. Oh, one other thing is it. that our grandmother played the piano, and she had the sheet music, so she would play through the eyes of love for us. Yes, and we would sing it very comically. You know, and and I would skate around the room yes. in my socks. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was a big thing, yeah. And the whole Marvin Hamlish. Oh, I remember. I, think, Boy, yes. I feel like I feel like we watched it once a week. I was doing a uh, well, yeah. I was doing just Annie. I'll get to you in a second. But I was doing a count this time. Uh, I watched it for a second time last night, and I did a little check mark every time the the, the theme music came up, and it was. I got it. They played it a total of 10 times, uh, as far as I could tell, wow. which I feel like might be a record for the most times uh, any movie plays a single song. <laughs> like, I feel like it's more, it's probably more than even the way we were, or even well, You Light Up My Life. Maybe maybe You Light Up My Life plays more times during the Sir, movie, you, have, you did not movie. see The Last American Virgin eight times in a theater the way I did last summer when I was promoting my book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And what's the, what's the song and how many times? The song that they play repeatedly is the Jeffrey Osborne, um, I did my best, but I guess my best wasn't good enough. <laughs> to the point that when it finally comes up during like a big climactic scene, the entire audience always laughs because they're like, well, they got their money's worth out of that one. Yeah. So, Annie Riser, do we have a movie? I don't. Yeah. I was trying to think. Do we have a movie? I was trying to think of that. I think we do. I think our movie is The Empire Strikes Back. All right. We saw oh. that together on opening day. 
Yes, we did. At the Astro Plaza. Right. We saw the first show on opening. Wow, that's the place to go. Wednesday. It's probably a Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, listen. We were so. so, I know you love Star Wars talk, Mike. So here it is for you. No, but I like (laughs) nostalgia. Yeah. (laughs) Well, we we had such a great spot in the line, or as we say in New York, online. We were like, Um, like tenth online or something. So we got into the theater and and had primo seats, maybe a third of the way back, right in the center. And people came up to us before the movie and were literally waving ten, twenty dollar bills at us to buy our seats from us, so and just have us move elsewhere in the theater. We're like, no, 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 we've got our seats. Wow. Okay. Was Andy, it just ahead. the two of you? <laughs> just it was the just two the two of, of us. us. It was mm-hmm. like a, I think it was a Jewish, a very minor Jewish holiday. So somehow Ben convinced our mother that we should take the day off. Of it was it was Tisha Bo. Did you say you were going to temple or anything? <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, amazing. We, we had full endorsement. Our parents were awesome. Yeah. They let us do those kinds of things. My dad took us took, I guess it was Barbara and I took Barbara and I, my other sister, to Madison Square Garden. We did not have tickets. It was 1980. Bruce Springsteen was playing the River Tour, and he took us to Madison Square Garden and helped us scalp tickets outside of Madison Square Garden just for the two of us. Got us floor seats for 20 bucks a piece from some other person. It wasn't really a a scalper, but just some other person who had extra tickets. And then he sat in the car outside of Madison Square Garden for three and a half hours while we attended the show and then drove us home. That's heroic. No, I had, but Jean did the same thing. She got me David Bowie tickets, drove me to Giant Stadium and read a book until it got dark outside (laughs) when I was 15. I got no such affection. (laughs) I did. I said that like she could have done anything after that. And that's that's the ultimate. All right, Annie, talk about ice castles. I'm trying to oh, finish yeah. Empire Strikes Back. That mom, oh, yeah, mommy yeah. dropped us off at like six o'clock in the morning. Uh, we got into the first show and decided to stay for the second show too. So we called mommy and said we're staying for the second show. And we sat on the back this time, and it was fantastic. That's right. We were little kids, and I think we sort of like uh, uh, hid out in the bathroom for a couple minutes while they changed. Yeah. You know. And then yeah, yeah. somehow yeah, yeah. we were able to find some empty seats all the way in the back of the Astro Plaza and saw it again. Right. That's fantastic. Right. Yes. Um, I don't actually remember the first time I saw Ice Castles. I don't know if I saw it in a movie theater. Uh, I must have seen it on TV, too. And, of course, like, uh, I would have been obsessed with ice skating and uh, movies like this when I was eight years old, nine years old. Um, about ten years ago, I purchased the dvd right i don't remember i don't even remember where or when but it must have been like five bucks or something and i showed it to my niece and nephew lily and jack and they were disappointed that there were no actual (laughs) ice castles in the movie uh it is false advertising (laughs) yeah um but uh i still love it um I don't, can I talk about the ending now or should we? Yeah, yeah, good. Oh, okay. So I remember the last line of the movie being, we forgot about the flowers, which I thought was like the best ending ever. Like it's just a brilliant last line. That's not actually the last line of the movie, uh, which I realized last night when I watched it again. Um, So that was a little disappointing, but I I think 
my memory is better. I think. Yeah, the emotional. Yeah. 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 Print the legend in your head. That's what. That's what. You I don't think that yeah. Lexi saying "Stay with me" and Robbie Benson saying "You bet." I kept thinking, couldn't he have said like forever or something? He's like, you bet. <laughs> so, um, all right, so we, let's talk about the 70s and uh, winter sports of the 70s, which seem to be very prevalent in pop culture. And I'll throw out some examples and everybody can kind of chime in. So, first, I want to talk about the, the illegal sport in Brooklyn known as skitching, which I never did. Which is What's do you, that? Know, you guys know this, Rise? Okay. Oh, this is I know Skelly. This was like I know playing Skelly out in the street. Yeah. No, this but was like skilly. the thugs in our school would do this. It's you just when it's a lot of snow on the street and slush and sleep, you just hang on the back of a car and skitch and ride along like you're kind of surfing on your feet. Uh, they like, did I saw, a lot on the buses on They did on buses too, yeah. yeah. And I saw a guy get out of his car get out and smack one of the kids in the face and I was like not for me. So, so, it's, uh, so it's a combination of for, skating and hitching. That's what you're saying. Skitching. I never thought of that. That's brilliant. Yes, exactly. That's why yeah. it's sketching. Yeah. Skitching. Skitching. Popular, you know, popularized by Skitch Henderson, I think. <laughs> you know who told us, who told me years years later that she would do it was uh, our grandfather's sister would do it in Harlem on Convent <laughs> Avenue. She would skitch a ride. Wow. But that was back, back when, like, the vehicles went, the street like, five cars, miles an yeah. hour. Yeah, so. But still, that was she pretty was, dangerous, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh... Do you call your grandfather's sister your, your great aunt? Is that what you do in your family? We do that now. Yes. Say, My we called her aunt. Auntie Anne. Yeah. Auntie, yes. So, you guys remember Peggy Fleming? Yes. Of course. Do you remember the joke, what's green and, and ice skates? Peggy's Flem. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you, okay, Dorothy Hamill and her stupid wedge haircut. There seems Which like is, there's one girl in this movie who's got that Dorothy Hamill. Oh, yeah, I think for they sure. all Every do. Girl, they all do, except for Lynn Holly Johnson. Yeah. yeah. I guess who else had that haircut when he was seven years old? This unfortunate <laughs> sap. But they all have it, and they curl it up. They curl it. They make it really like Dorothy Hamill. It's so ugly, the haircut. I think I tried to have that, and my hair would not do that. It just, it's just not the right. I was not allowed to have that haircut. Now, no, because because I, I, I well, our family was allowed one Dorothy Hamill haircut, and they forced it on me. <laughs> that was like the female equivalent of the um, of the Beatles cut. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was the female equivalent of the John Travolta, which Robbie Benson has. In right. This movie. He wears it well. Yeah. Uh, Ice Capades versus Holiday on Ice. Never saw either of those shows. Those were shows that I wanted to see. I was always begging for us to get to see Ice Capades. And that was like one of the, uh, uh, along with the few, like Speed Racer and the Bowery Boys on TV. That was the show. <laughs> that, was, that, was an, that was an affront to culture for my parents and grandparents. They would take us to see anything, but no fucking Ice Capades. Do you remember that, Annie? Like there was, there was no way Thank we you. were going to. Yeah. I would have loved to see Ice They took us to what? the circus. Yeah, what I really wanted to see was Disney on ice, and they were like, no way, not seeing it. I have, I have going to make you jealous. I saw Disney on ice, but I was too old at that point to care. Uh, I was 12. I was turning 13, but it was fine. It was a night out in the garden, whatever. And I'm sitting with my cousin John, and uh, Zaro comes out. He does like a barrel jump, and like as he lands, there was like an explosion, like a... 
And he just turned to me and goes, I was trying to hold in a fart until that moment. It didn't crack me up. <laughs> wow. He knew the moment was coming, so he was... No, 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 no. He was just oh. trying to... He was trying... Like, he was uncomfortable, and then, like, boom. He just... Involuntary. It was, he was grateful. He had right. cover. Okay. Uh, Donnie and Marie had the Ice Angels, which were their chorus girls oh, that yeah, skated yeah. around. Uh, the Other Side of the Mountain movies. Uh, mm-hmm. About uh, Olympic skier Jill Kinmont, uh, who was paralyzed in an accident when she was 18. Directed by our man Larry Pierce. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I assumed probably until 10 years ago that Ice Castles was based on a true story. And now I realize it was just a blatant ripoff of the other side of the mountain. And the pitch would have been like, what if in this one the heroine gets to do her thing again and wins? <laughs> Uh, Slapshot, of course. Uh, Claudine Langer. You guys remember that name? So she no. was a French chanteuse pop singer, wife of Andy Williams. And they oh, sp- yes, they yes. They split up amicably in 75. And then she had a professional skier boyfriend. And she shot him to death and claimed she was cleaning her gun. And this led to one of the most hilarious SNL bits ever, which was the... Claudine Langer International or Invitational, which was just footage of skiers coming off of like jumps that would fall, but they would dub in a gunshot right before they fell every time. Uh, Susie hey, Chaffee. Let's not forget that. Uh, can hang on before we before we go over Slapshot entirely. Yeah. Let's mention that Jennifer Warren, who's so fantastic ah, in this yes. movie, is also in Slapshot. Plays Paul Newman's wife. Yeah. Totally Jennifer great. Warren, who I found out today was a graduate of the University of Wisconsin Madison. How about that? Wow. Yeah. That's a small world. Uh, Olympic skier Susie Chaffee, who became Susie Chapstick. Yep. Yep. Yes. Now, here, my sister told me she was upset by, my, by the story of my father ripping up my mad magazines. Well, here's another story for you, Katie. Oh, no. So, <laughs> so like, right around 70, it was just like 78. Susie, so Susie Chaffee was the skier. She then became the spokesperson for Chapstick. And there was a commercial where she pulls up in an ice cream truck. And only instead of ice cream, she has varieties of Chapstick for all these, like, you know, young ladies on the street. So around this time, there was a news story about an ice cream truck blowing up. So I drew a comic strip that was just, it just, like, recreated the Susie Chapstick commercial. But the last panel was her ice cream truck blowing up. And I was, like, really proud of this. And it's pretty hilarious. My father lost his shit on me over this thing. And I thought it was because I was, like, defaming an American hero or something. Doing research on this, I now understand it was a very serious accident in in the City Hall area. And 150 people were were badly injured. So Oh, my God. Now I, 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 so he gets, he gets one in the... I understand now, Colin Pop, for that one. So I was making light of a. He didn't want you to get kicked out of Washington D.C. like Howard Stern did when he made fun of that plane. That's right. I just thought like somebody blew up an ice cream truck, and I was like, "That is hilarious." So, uh, and so that's the so so winter sports a big deal in the seventies. And uh, oh, shall I read my synopsis now? So this is you know yeah. Okay. Uh, Lynn Holly Johnson stars as Alexis Lexi Winston, a 16-year-old girl from Waverly, Iowa, 
who possesses outstanding talent for figure skating. She practices at Beulah's Ice Castle, a combination bowling alley bar and ice skating rink owned by Beulah, Colleen Dewhurst, who herself was once a promising skater. Lexi's boyfriend, Robbie Benson, encourages Lexi to go into competition in Ames. Her single dad, Tom Skerritt, worries about Lexi getting hurt, but he lets her go. Lexi unfairly loses the competition, but wins over the crowd, and they shower her with flowers. She gets scouted by big-time coach Jennifer Warren, moves to a training facility in Colorado. Once there, she starts dating a TV news guy, David Huffman, and betrays Robbie Benson. With her star on the rise, Lexi uncomfortably leaves a party to skate by herself. She has an accident and goes blind. She then moves back home in despair until Robbie convinces her to skate again with an eye on the competition. Lexi agrees, but only if no one knows she's blind. Lexi skates and wows the crowd. They shower her with flowers and she falls, revealing her secret. Robbie rushes onto the ice and helps Lexi understand that this is her moment of true triumph. Wow. Yeah, where do we even start with that? <laughs> well, I want to start, Kate, with a question for you. So you said you were watching this with my nine-year-old uh, comedian nephew, Leo. And as soon yes. as it started, he said, well, there it is, the sound of the 1900s. <laughs> yes. He did. What? And he also said the right sound. The right sound. <laughs> but what, what right was he sound. referring to? When Robbie Benson first comes home uh-huh. after Lexi, like, you know, Lexi skates and you hear the song. Right. And Robbie Benson walks into the ice castle and the audio very clearly like switches over oh. and it sounds so 70s. And he walks in and somebody looks at him and says, hey, what are you doing home? And he says, none of your business. And that was what Leo felt was the sound of the <laughs> the, right sound. <laughs> the right sound. Is That's that the right name sound. of 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 uh, Colleen Dewhurst's establishment? Yeah. Is the ice, ice castle? castle? Oh, geez. Ice yeah. Castle. Yeah. Well, it's, it's Beulah's Ice Castle and Star Lanes. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. Things were so different and in how, the '70s, right? Like, yeah. Well, she she had to have a pin monkey. Like somebody had to set up the pins and stuff. I was going to say I did not remember this taking place in Iowa and I don't believe any of those people have ever been to Iowa. <laughs> I always thought of it as being in Pen- somewhere in Pennsylvania is where I placed it. Huh. The accents are odd. At one point I was wondering if they were in Maine. Oh. But I somehow remember it being in Iowa. It feels very Midwestern. It also feels very Canadian to me. Like yes. I keep thinking this movie all takes place in Canada. I would have guessed Minnesota. But Having watched it. That's where they well, that's filmed where it. it. Right. But I always, for some reason, I, I also have the DVD. So I definitely watched it like 20 years ago as an adult. But the, uh, I actually, Mike gave me the DVD one Christmas. And, um, but I knew it was the Midwest. But what always struck me was Robbie Benson has, and I love Robbie Benson, but he has a strong New Jersey accent. And I always thought it was strange that in the middle of like all those Midwestern accents, he had that strong, like new, like he comes up, he's like, mind your own business. You know, he has that right. really strong accent. I don't know why I knew it was Iowa, but it does feel like Canada. I think because they skate at like the Great Lake region. Well, it's also stuff. only winter in this town. No matter what time of yes. the movie, it's like, there's never a summer season. At one point, he's like, competition's in five months. It's as completely covered in snow as it's been the entire time. <laughs> well, I think the other thing about it is that the the person who personifies wherever it is that they're living the most to me is Colleen Dewhurst. And she's got such a crazy accent, yeah. sort of Irish 
uh, slash, I think, Canadian. Right. Or something. I don't yeah. know what the hell she's talking about. Colleen Dewhurst, I mean, I could talk for the whole rest of this podcast about Colleen Dewhurst and how uh, her character and her performance only reminds me, and reminds me a lot, but only reminds me of other characters who are all men in other movies. Wow. She seems like the perfect cross between Burgess Meredith in Rocky um, and Robert Shaw as Quint in Jaws. Like if those two guys <laughs> came together <laughs> and cloned themselves. And loved ice skating. Yeah. And loved ice skating. They That's would be totally true. Dewhurst. Yeah. She's like their, like the winter version of Quint, for Well, sure. I wrote that she dresses like a longshoreman, <laughs> and they make reference to her clothes. And yeah, I was they're constantly. Everybody dresses like that now. Yeah, that's a, that's such a good point. She's hip. She <laughs> <Annie>. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. But, but yet, I love that in the end of the movie when she cleans her act up and feel, you know she's you know Tom Skerritt literally says to her, "You're like a bad character." Right. Wearing these stupid clothes. You're a stupid character in stupid clothes. Yeah. And then she repeats that line about right. herself later in the, sort of the most meta moment of this whole movie. Right. Um, but then when she cleans up at the end, she starts dressing like uh, Columbo, Columbo or Inspector Clouseau. She's yeah. got this fucking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. But with the, so yeah, you're right. Clouseau, because she's got yeah. the hat. She's got like the bucket yeah. hat. <laughs> Yeah, that's her cleaned up. So Colleen was coming off of uh, Annie Hall, where she played Annie's mother, Mrs. Hall. And she was heading mm-hmm. into the next year when a stranger calls, which yeah. is uh, a very odd horror movie. Um, do do you ladies remember that movie? When a stranger calls with Carol Kane. Oh, you must remember the commercial. I do. And have you checked the children? The, and then, yes, and no, the classic line is the you know the call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, it was kind of like dial M for murder. It was but like what was terrifying. weird about it is that you know it was it had been like a student film about this terrorized babysitter, so they remade that for this movie, and it's this terrible thing, and the murder is in the house, and he kills the kids, and it's very scary that whole opening twenty minute segment. Then it becomes this kind of like middle aged like dowdy. Uh, romance between Charles Durning and Colleen Dewhurst the rest of the movie. Wow. <laughs> He's like, can I buy you an ice cream? <laughs> so. Uh, but the other thing that, the other thing about Ice Castles, which really puts in the 70s in, in a really sort of, I mean, delightful way for me is this is a mainstream PG rated movie, but it's full of like, you know, swear words and people talking about half wits and pansies. And there's this relationship between at best a 17 year old and a guy in his early thirties that nobody blinks an eye about. And there's no, there's no suggestion that there's something inappropriate going on between these two. That has come up a lot, Ben. Because my perception of it as a kid, I was fine with it because that was just the way it was. But I not only, as a woman and a mother of a girl, I was like, wow, that's really wrong. But the other part is I, I really see that whole Robbie Benson character as telling her, like, I don't know what I want. So you're going to wait because, you know, you're the girl and that's oh, your yeah. place. No, and he's so a complete- then she ends up marrying like yeah. this. Yeah. Let marry. Then she dates Brian, and everybody's cool with it. Tom Skerritt like walks out of the room and lets her. Well, I want to talk about that scene for a minute. At the end, when she's blind and she's at the championship, um, yeah, her her old TV news guy boyfriend shows up, and he says, "Can we have a minute?" Tom Skerritt says, "No." Robbie Benson says, "Yes, let them." 
And I, I actually wrote like, how about you ask Lynn Holly Johnson what she wants? But it was the seventies. Yeah. It was such a, a moment yeah. uh, to me of she, she like knew her place yeah. as the girl and all these ideas I had of her as being weak as a child, I suddenly was like, oh, my God, how is she living through, like, this man control? And Beulah <laughs> had to be a man to, in order to control her the same way. Yeah. I mean, everybody's and, getting a piece out of this girl. And she, Lynn Holly Johnson, at one point, kisses Beulah on the mouth, and it's a more passionate kiss than yeah. anything we see between her and Robbie Benson, who I want to say continues to be, I love Robbie Benson. I think he's a fantastic right. actor. I wish he'd done more. But he, but this is the second episode in a row where I get to say that Robbie Benson is a terrible on-screen kisser. He looks like he has no skills <laughs> yes. when it comes to kissing yeah. in this movie. Ben, but I, I, also thought want that's, to I thought that's <laughs> But I want to talk about Sportscaster Guy in that, in that scene where he uh, shows up again after a while. They're supposed to be practicing at this arena that they're paying $20 a night for as long as they only work between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. in the morning. So this motherfucker is hiding out in her locker room at like 3 or 4 in the morning, and he's just standing there like a fucking veal in the dark, and they open up the thing, and he's like, you know, and and Katie, my wife, turns to me, she goes, this guy looks like he just came out of a David Cronenberg movie, and that's very true. He does look Absolutely, like Absolutely, another, another Canadian another touch. Reason why, Another reason why it feels Canadian, yeah, is because that yeah. guy looks a lot like that dude Nicholas Campbell who plays Frank Dodd in The Dead Zone. Absolutely. Um, and, and he totally gives you that killer, that psycho killer yeah. vibe. It's such a weird thing that this stalker is just standing there yeah. in that empty locker room. She's lucky he wasn't a scanner. But yeah. Ben, I thought that same thing because I listened to Jeremy, your Jeremy episode. And I heard you mention that about Robbie Benson. And let me say again, I love Robbie Benson and rewatching this. I said all of my boyfriends up until my husband and what made sense to me because they all look like Robbie Benson. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, that's fine. Cause Mike and I were watching this movie much <laughs> like it set, it set what I thought a boyfriend should be. Anyway, I thought that same thing. And it, I don't know if they were like too close. It was uncomfortable. Mm. Like it was uh, her kiss with Brian was much better, much and better. yet not terribly passionate. Yeah. <laughs> Right. But it was definitely. Well, I, I liked at the end when she kisses Brian, the TV news guy. Yes. Because it was like, she's like, well, I, I'm into kissing this guy. I'm going to enjoy this and then I'm going to go tell him <laughs> the fuck off. So I was like, that's a, that was right. a great moment for me. Yeah, I thought so too. Well, but I, I, And I want to say the $20 a night, I looked that up, that's 86 bucks in 2020 money. That's expensive. That's, yeah. No. I, didn't, I don't oh. think that's bad. Yeah, that's Man, not bad. That, for renting a rink right, yeah. at 1 o'clock right. in the morning. Do you remember, Katie, we grew up with kids who were <laughs> serious hockey players. Yeah, my husband's whole well, family. But, like they, Abe like Stark. And, and, and Frank and stuff, they they would go, yeah, at 2 in the morning on weeknights to practice. Because that's when they could get the ice. To yeah. Abe Stark yeah, in Coney Island. Island. Yeah. yeah. That's still a really big rink, and that is where, like, elite, the elite kids yeah. go. But um, yeah, I married into a hockey family where the a bunch of cousins went to college on hockey scholarships. Wow. And that's right. where they train at Ape Stark. But I do want to say, Ben, the other thing about Robbie Benson, let me just grab my notes on this, is um, I heard you also in the Jeremy episode that you and Mike were talking about Robbie Benson and like kind of where did he go? He's been a college professor. I looked it up for 33 years and he is a professor. He's not like a visiting artist. 
And a thing I read on the... He's not like Dr. William H. Cosby, PhD. <laughs> he was... Um, or Dr. Jill Biden, he apparently. Was, That's a <laughs> oh, don't even. Don't even. <laughs> but he was my friend, Tim Sheehy's uh, film professor. He, did a, he taught a year-long film course at USC. And Tim was my brother's age, so it was in the 80s. And he was at USC, and then he did a stint at NYU. He was somewhere in the Midwest, and he only ever, he like really left acting because he suffers from a congenital heart yeah. disease that causes him to have constant oh. open heart surgery. So somebody oh said to him, I read this on the, I listened to an interview on OWN. Oprah was interviewing, like, where are they now? And mm-hmm. he said that as he was getting older and he was having to have more surgeries, they said, so a bunch of his actor friends said, you cannot reveal this because nobody will hire Much you. like Lynn Holly You're Johnson too much of an, uh, when yeah. she went blind. Don't forget about the flowers, Robbie. That's Don't right. Yes, exactly. Way to the operating table. And he kept it a secret. Yeah. And then eventually it came out. He he was in Cedar Sinai Hospital, and it ended up on the news. Well, I want to say, and that was it. Then he was, a, and he was a director. Mm-hmm. No, it's great, I, and I feel like I'll say one thing about Robbie Benson uh, and, and Jennifer Warren is that the, the two. It's interesting that the two of them are in this movie because they're both they're both. I think really wonderful actors with lots great. of great performances throughout the seventies, and then they both sort of walked away from the business, at least being on screen. Uh, I I, I want to say sort of while they were ahead of the game, uh, you know. For sure. and, and so they they didn't. Neither one of them. I guess Robbie a little bit with that uh, walk proud or whatever, or walk tall, whatever that's called. Um, yeah. Maybe they, you know, maybe he made a couple movies too many towards the end of his seventies and eighties run. But they both sort of walked away and then went on and did other things. And I think it's interesting that they were both in this in this movie together. But what I'm, but more what I want to say is that as a newcomer to this movie, and I like it a lot. I think it's very entertaining. It's got a lot of great things to to enjoy, and it's very watchable. But my big problem with the movie is is all about the concept and the. And the lack of agency that that Lynn Holly Johnson's character has in this movie, and the fact that yes, it's a tearjerker, but what it really seems to be is a sort of a you know um, a triumphant sort of overcoming the odds sports story, more in the way of Rocky or mm-hmm. Breaking Away or other movies that were coming out in the seventies. And those movies who have a male protagonist in the center of it, none of those guys lose their sight or become paralyzed and can't do it anymore and then overcome those kind of odds. I don't understand what this movie is saying about her character. Despite all the evidence on screen, everyone in the movie sort of acts like she did something wrong uh, by going off and and entering this competition and entering into this relationship with an older guy, which, again, isn't her fault. You know, she's not the one who's a 35-year-old creeper like dating somebody (laughs) who's underage. Uh, but also, through the first half of this movie, Robbie Benson, while a nice guy, is completely non-committal to her. Every right. time she talks about marriage or staying together, he's like, I'm not into that stuff. I'm just going to go my own way. And, you know, we're watching on screen him having these sort of obnoxious, selfish reactions to her success. Like when she finds out she gets a coach, he makes a sort of a sour face. I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Even though he's the guy who's about to go off and try out for the NHL. And, and, you know, and throughout he keeps making these little sad faces. And when she calls him up and he tells her he's quit the NHL and she says, come be with me. 
He's like, nah, I don't want, I can't do that right now. Like, he's too upset with her success. And yet she's the one who pays the price. Like, what is it? What is it we're supposed to be taking? What's the message of this film that because she'd rather go skate out on the ice and do her triple axel rather than hang out at a party where nobody's talking to her, nobody's interested in her, she sort of deserves this fate? And then there's that crazy scene between Robbie Benson and Tom Skerritt later on where Robbie Benson is saying, I really wanted to hurt her. I hate her so much. She's such an asshole. And Tom Skerritt, he's her dad. He's saying all this shit to Tom Skerritt that you should never say to someone's dad. How does Tom Skerritt turn around with his rifle and (laughs) shoot Robbie Benson in the head? (laughs) Well, Tom Skerritt had a weird relationship with her, too. It was weird. Like, she was her mother, almost. Yes, but here's my pitch for an alternate Ice Castles. This movie would make a ton more sense to me is if everything happens the way it happens up until the point where Robbie confronts her at the competition and sees that she's in this relationship with this guy and he storms off. Well, Robbie Benson does nothing in this movie but drive a car, right? It should be that Robbie Benson gets into his car and he's a little bit drunk and he drives off into the night and he crashes into a fucking tree or a light post and he goes blind and she puts her career on hold to nurse him back to health. She gets him into the NHL without telling anybody that he's blind and he He's the first blind NHL player. Now, that's a movie I would see. And that's a movie that makes more sense to me if we're trying to get moralistic about these characters. Thank you. What, Annie? Go ahead. Sorry. They don't throw flowers. So that well, he could, would he never, could trip, over, never he could trip over a hockey stick. And they, they would they throw say, fish sometimes. The they would sticks. throw frozen fish at the <laughs> hockey players. For real. I, ha- I have to tell you, Ben, I, as a girl watching this, now I'm going to be 50 soon. So I was, you know, I was pretty young the first time I saw it. But as a girl, it never struck me that a girl would be anything but that because that was what we were kind of shown all the time. So now that we understand that it's not okay, I mean, this was her place. She was the girl. But I do love that Tom Skerritt and Robbie Benson have gone to their hunting. <laughs> and they have a conversation. It's ludicrous. But the whole but Tom I, Skerritt keeping her around, too, is weird. And she's like, I'm well, not. Well, they kind of, I mean, they kind of explain that he's, like, he's shattered after the death of his wife. He's afraid for her to leave the town. Yeah. I mean, all this is bad stuff, but they give him some proper motivation. Oh, for sure. But it's still weird. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's wrong. And where are all the other teenagers in this town? They got snowed in. Because it never stops snowing <laughs> down. Annie, is that how did you feel when you were? Do you remember well, like? I yeah. think that this is. I think what you're saying is right. That the movie emphasizes how other people react to her and treat her, and how she's controlled by other people. But at the at the end of the day, she does all of this by herself. She's on the ice by herself. She she overcomes these things. If the movie had emphasized that more, that would have. I agree with Katie. That's not how things were portrayed in the seventies, really, especially in this kind of movie. Um, but looking at it now, you can see like how strong she really was. Yeah, I totally agree. I felt I totally agree. I was like, I cannot believe she survived all of that. Yeah, including like I mean, I think the one scene to me that is so realistic, and I think so many people have gone through, uh, me included, is when they're sitting in the car. He's driving her home and the coach is there from Colorado and she looks like, and Holly Lynn looks just beautiful and super seventies teenager. She kind of reminded me of like every kid at the beach in Keensburg, like with her blonde hair and, and 
he just, he says to her in the car, she's like, you know, is that what you want to do, play hockey? Because it's all about him playing hockey. And he's like, oh, yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to do. And then they have a little back and forth. And he says, I I know I'm supposed to go to college. I know I'm supposed to be a doctor. I know I'm supposed to get married and have kids. I'm supposed to end up just like my folks. Every time I start something, I see where it's going and I don't like it. But that doesn't mean I don't love you. And the expectation in 1978 is she's going to sit there and be like, okay, when you change your mind, I'll be here. I mean, they actually refer to this in the write-up on Amazon as her affair. With the, she's broken up with multiple times by Robbie Benz. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an affair. She's taken advantage of by the creeper, but I think it is her choice. Yeah. All right. So let's plunge back into the plot now. So Jennifer Warren has showed up. She says she wants to take uh, Lynn Holly Johnson to this training facility in Colorado. And uh, that's where Robbie Benson has the hilarious line where he says, what about the big O, the Olympics? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, she goes to this facility and she's getting walked through by this sort of uh, motor mouth kid, another skater there. Hey, who is that motor mouth? I could not for the life of me figure out. Sandy is her name and it's Diane Riley. And she has one other movie credit and one other acting credit, Over the Edge. She was one of the kids in Over the Edge. That was it. You know who That's I why thought I loved was, her right away. And she she's if, fantastic uh, she in this movie. Yeah. But I feel like if this movie had been made even 10 years later, it would have been perfect for that Kathleen Wilhoit, you know, from Roadhouse and all those other Yes. Movies. Yeah, yeah. Murphy's Law. Perfect, yeah. Yeah. Or even Didi Khan, maybe a younger Pro- Didi Khan. But that, oh, Didi Khan. We're going to talk about Didi Khan in a moment. <laughs> oh, we are? <laughs> we get okay. to the music. <laughs> we are. I have Didi Khan built in. Annie, did you know Didi Khan? Uh, I... I did not, but I know all about her and about my brother's uh, relationship to her. Yes, we have we have connections to Didi Khan. Oh, you uh, did too. Oh, her mother her mother in law Bootsy was my art teacher at the Breezy Point <laughs> oh. Surf Club. Yes, yes, just saying, Bootsy. That's, that wow. was that was our connection. Yeah, Boots. yeah. Boots. You know what I didn't find? What what I did not know for some reason I didn't do it in my. Jeremy research was that was that Robbie Benson's name is not was not really Robbie Benson. His real name was Robin David Siegel. I did wow. not know that that Robbie is a Robin. Wow, how about that? Yeah. So, uh, Mike, that yeah. girl. I'm sorry, I didn't mean Please. to interrupt you. No, no. The girl with the uh, like the motor mouth. Yeah. I have no memory of her from Channel Eleven. I rewound that part where she talks. She has that one particular conversation. I kept rewinding it, and I was sure I wasn't hearing it the right way, or somehow they added something. <laughs> well, What's she that says, in the movie? Yeah, she says to Lynn Holly Johnson, are you queer? Which, again, <laughs> like like Colleen Dewhurst's fashion, would now be the proper thing to say to somebody. Right. Um, and then she says, <laughs> there was a the lesbian time. here last year. She tried to kiss me on the mouth. Um but yeah, I don't remember that either, and it makes me think that probably got cut, cut from TV. Out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because yeah. it. But it's think- not on my DVD either. You sure? What? Oh, it's on mine. Is it? I I have to look again. I was shocked. Oh. I kept rewinding it, and she's going on and on, and she actually uses the term "lezzy," and she's like, yeah. "I don't care, each to their own." But when you get kissed on the mouth, it's like shocking. Whatever. Yeah. I was shocked <laughs> by the conversation, and that well, they then just- she. 
Then she busts into this room and she says, this is where we do gotcha. And she opens up this door yeah. really quickly to see what the other girls are doing. And the girl's just doing her Dorothy Hamill curl in the mirror. <laughs> I don't know. She didn't really get busted with gotcha. that. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, Lynn Holly Johnson, I like the training sequence to the Scarlatti Suite, which was the lovely harpsichord piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jennifer Warren has given her some real tough coach talk, which I always love. I love any tough coach in a movie. Um, and then Lynn Holly gets some media attention. And this I thought was terrible. Jennifer Warren brings a TV crew into her bedroom at like 7 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, she's got to be like on edge as it is because she's like, did I oversleep? And the TV crew is celebrating that uh, Lynn Holly Johnson is such a great skater, even though she hasn't been training since age six like the other girls. And this breeds uh, contempt and resentment from the other skaters. And uh, Hey, can I, Mike? Please, yes. Can I add, can I, this is a question that I had. Please. And if I understand this scene correctly, yeah. I've only seen it two times. So she's in that locker, she walks into that locker room and all the other girls are making yeah. fun of her. They're whispering yeah. about her, they're mumbing and she, yeah. she hears them. She gets upset and she runs out of that locker room. She runs down the hall, I believe, in her skates. Wow, I didn't notice that. But, oh, yeah, and, uh, yeah. Is, wow. that a, is that a thing? Are, are people able to run full speed in skates? Oh, yeah, you can run in skates. Yeah. Okay. I guess they I'm do impressed. run on the ice, right? Like yeah. when they're going fast. So. Yeah. And she yeah, also has one, one of them falls off. No, they, one I think, of, they I think it's one of she her. She had the covers. Right. One of the covers mm. falls off. Yeah. And if one falls off, but it's it's they're not like sharp blades. She oh, was okay. hitting it with. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, I mean, they really do some amazing things on that ice. So she. Uh, I'd like to. Can I? Please. Is this a good place to talk about her outfit? which I love the best because they were making fun of it. And um, I love her simple blue dress with the Peter Pan color and her uh, name and uh, sewn into the collar. And I think that would make an amazing Halloween costume. (laughs) I agree. But now that, uh, that outfit is actually Beulah's, right? That's Beulah says, this is what I wore when I won the thing, but it, but we don't see, and I don't remember them talking about, Lexi's name being stitched into the collar. Is that something that Beulah has done for her? Or does Lexi do Well, she that had to herself? take it in. Beulah said, she, I was bigger than you. So she had to do some alterations. Right. So that was just a nice so thing. on it while she was at it. Right. Tom Scarrett tells Beulah she won the whatever, the regionals 25 mm-hmm. years ago. I think we can all, we know it was 35 years, right? I mean, that, <laughs> like, there was no chance. Well, that's a good point. Yeah. Kali, I, like, I did the math. I was like, yeah, no, nope. Not 25 years ago. I thought he said 30. So I thought he split the difference. But no, he said 25. Oh, and okay. considering 16 is old, we have to yeah. assume she was 14. You know? like Well, no. 16 is old for like just beginning right. on the circuit. Okay. But I think, uh, I don't think that's too old to, to win right. a competition. Yeah. Well, that's that's something that I didn't understand about Jennifer Warren's character because she's sitting there at the at the diner portion of this fantastic sports complex yeah. that Beulah runs, mm-hmm. uh, and she says, "How old is she?" And Beulah doesn't want to tell her. And when she tells her she's sixteen, Jennifer Warren, who is totally enchanted with the idea of Lexi and wants nothing but to manage her, she hears the word sixteen and she can't get out of that stool fast enough. Like, Sorry to waste your time, It's Like, what changed? Who cares? You already know she hasn't had proper right. training and that she's a natural talent why is that the thing that's going to send you flying they constantly uh, talk about that natural talent and it reminded me of uh, the character of james and showgirls when he says to nomi he's like you got more natural talent than i've ever seen when you dance you burn 
<laughs> I think though, Ben, when uh, back then, well, actually a little even before then, figure skating was really about making the figures. Mm-hmm. And if they didn't learn how to make like a perfect figure eight, mm. there was a certain time in your life, almost like handwriting. If you don't learn how to write properly by third grade, you're not going to. Like your grip right is going to be yeah. weird. So she, it was the same thing with the figures. And Beulah mm-hmm. says to her, to Jennifer Warren, no, but figures are only 30% now. And I think that's where Jennifer Warren is like, okay, you're right. Because she's too old yeah. to learn how to make those figures. And I remember being in Prospect Park and watching people try to do that and how boring it was and how happy I am that things like Dorothy Hamill leaping happened. Right. Yeah. And they took the figures out of uh, competitive figure skating. So they don't have to do that anymore. It's not a component. So I- but I don't know how she would have gotten... To, so at the end, she's dance, She's skating the long program. So before that would have been the, the figure eights and then the short program. So we're supposed to think that she did all of those blind and nobody else, nobody noticed up till that <laughs> final skate, up till the flowers. Flowers, till they threw the just, flowers, yeah. Wow, that's the magic of It's a it miracle is. on ice. Exactly. It's like the uh, so. 1980 hockey. I, I can I just bring us back for one second to when she's having the cat scan, because yeah. I asked my one of my friends Amory to watch this, and I said, "Can you watch it so we can like coffee talk it on Sunday morning?" And she couldn't even she couldn't stop laughing hard enough to tell me the line she liked the best when they're the doctor is explaining to Tom Scarrett and Jennifer Warren what's going on with Lexi's brain in her sight. The doctor interrupts himself and says. Nice scan, Diane, about yeah. the brain. <laughs> Can I say I want to? I have notes about that doctor. I think that that doctor has got to be a real doctor. I think in the history of doctors and movies, I've never seen somebody who feels more like an honest to god doctor than that guy. <laughs> he is reading the shit out of that scan. He's got yeah. all kinds of stuff he wants to say. But then that leads to the craziest moment, I think, in the whole movie, where they wheel Lexi out of the scan, and Tom Skerritt says, hey, babe, and she's like, daddy, and this fucking orderly just keeps pushing her, where are they taking her so fast? She's not rushing to an operating table or anything like that, they're just taking her back to the room. Why can't she have a conversation with her father at that moment? But he doesn't doesn't stop another man controlling him. Yes, and he's right. (laughs) That's it. I want to say she does especially good blind eyes in that scene. <laughs> yes. Well, I had this note that Lynn Holly before the accident reminds me a lot of that kid. I think his name is Carrie Guffey, the the the, the kid in um, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, the little the little, little kid that goes kid to space, gets yeah. kidnapped. Yeah, Wh- whatever that actor's name is, uh, Carrie Guffey. And then after the accident, she reminds me of the girl of Art Hindle's daughter in The Brood of Cindy Hyde. She, she's got this feral sort of, like at the end of The Brood when The Brood is attacking that little girl right. like Lynn Holly Johnson. Anyway, those are the two faces That's an of excellent Lynn Holly point Johnson too. for me. Wow. So uh, I want to talk about the uncomfortable erotic awakening moment that happens in the mirror. Yes. Which I, I also Can, didn't remember. Yeah. And, and yeah. then that's how we find out she's dating the TV guy. And I was mm-hmm. like, my note, these were my notes. Who's her new boyfriend? Is that the TV guy? Right. Oh, shit, it is the right. TV guy. 
<laughs> and they already seem to be sharing a hotel room because that's her. She's yeah. in her hotel room, looking in her hotel room, and he comes walking in like he's got a key to the room too. And he yeah. embraces her, and she's not surprised. So we are walking into the middle of a relationship that's already been established off screen that we don't know anything about. That's completely inappropriate, and we're like, wait a minute, when did this happen? I don't think. And, see, I'm going to disagree, Ben. Me too. Okay. Go ahead. I don't think that they had the relationship. I think he had full access to her because he was the film guy. As Mike said earlier, he was going in and out of her room like they go in at seven o'clock in the morning. And she says to him during that erotic awakening, why do they all touch me? And he's like, because they all want a piece of you, as does he. And I think that's, I also think, I thought as a kid, she and Robbie Benson were, you know, doing it. And now I decided when I rewatched it like four times this week, that that night with Brian was the first time. And she and Robbie Benson don't actually do it together until they're in the skating rink in the ice castle and they get back together. What do you think, Annie? I agree with you. I think that he was always inappropriately touching her, but it was in that scene where they become a couple. Me too, totally. He touches her when she's whipping the leg. He mm-hmm. like grabs her shoulders. Yeah. All right. That's good. Perceptive. Okay. Yeah, because I was I was confused. I was confused. Well, you're All not right. women. That's right. So that's what, <laughs> you know. So maybe the two of you can walk me through this series of moments, which I find to be really fascinating and bizarre. And and the her staring in the mirror before he arrives in the room is one of these moments. But the first one of them is earlier in the movie when she's at her first motel waiting around to start being in her first competition where she is sitting on the edge of her bed. She's got her legs. She's wearing her leotard. Her legs are spread. And she's just sort of staring at the phone on this night table. And there's like a, you know, the camera angle is really weird. Like you're getting a full on view of between her legs and she's just sitting there almost in a trance. And then that kind of thing happens throughout the movie. There's the phone call where she has with Robbie Benson, where he is in a really weird spot in his hotel room. He's standing there. He's wearing nothing but his underwear. His tiny tiny whitey. He's up against a wall and he's standing in this weird position, sort of like just a strange place to be hanging out in your hotel room. But then there's more of those, a lot more of those. Uh, there's the there's this cra- maybe the craziest one of all is after this uh, the the crazy French skater whose name is uh, Cecily. It's not Ce- it's not Cecily. It's she's got a really crazy French name. But after she gets upset, Lynn Holly storms off to the bathroom because she's she's upset that the French woman is upset. And she goes into a toilet stall and she gets right up against the, the, the bathroom wall and she's staring at this wall. Um, and what's her it's name? Like Blair Witch Project. <laughs> exactly like Blair. I had that same note. Blair. There's all these Blair Witch moments. Jennifer Warren walks in and tries to talk her down. And the whole time, Lynn Holly is an inch from this horrible bathroom wall, just staring at it. Like, what is she doing? And then at the party... She does the same thing with the ice sculpture. She walks over to this ice sculpture and she is an inch away from this ice sculpture and she just lo- goes into this ice sculpture trance. And again, I'm like, what is going on with people who just sort of just sort of stand in weird trance-like situations in, in parts of the room where they shouldn't be and way too close to objects that they shouldn't be around? What's up with that motif in this And movie? there's a lot of open mouth gaping. 
What is the significance of that ice sculpture? What is she thinking about at that party? Hmm? It's melting. The ice sculpture to me was ah, everything's melting. Right. Good point. It's just going. And she's watching it drip, 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 drip. And then she sees the pure ice outside. And she's like, I can take this back. All right. And she's just so distraught. Yeah. But I have to tell you, I really think that she and Robbie Benson are not in hotel rooms. I think that they're in dorms because they have the cinder block walls. So I think their rooms are much smaller. I think they're in like a skater dorm because why wouldn't she and Beulah share a room? Like they don't have money to burn. So if she's there with Beulah, wouldn't it stand to reason that they're in one room together? I just Mm. thought they put them up in like, you know, when you go to like swim competitions, you go to like a college and they put you in the dorm rooms. That's what they look like to me. Yeah, that's fine. But I will say that that scene is weird and the aggressive stretching. And again, my friend Amory brought that up. She was because she's in advertising. She said from a production point of view, it was long. And why? Like, why was she in there like aggressively? But she's trapped in cinder blocks, too, which was an interesting yeah, metaphor. Sure. I, I, I do love the location. I love the location of the payphone where she calls Robbie Benson because it's right by this gate. And we're seeing her through this gate. And, and it really does sort of say she's in prison right now. Right. She's locked up in this prison. And she gets her one phone call a day. And she calls Robbie Benson, who's waiting for her in his like tidy whities and he wants to tell her that he's sick of the NHL. <laughs> it's also kind of weird. We see Robbie Benson really petitioning to be a, a hockey player, but then we yeah. either that part of the movie is cut. We never get to see why he becomes disenchanted with being an NHL player. Um, you know, he goes to this farm team, and the next thing you know, he's like talking to her on the phone saying he quit. And he does well. She said he scored two goals during the game. And uh, I think it's just part of his, you know, I can't finish anything. So, you know, he snatches success from the, you know, snatches defeat from the jaws of success, rather. So I agree. And I think that he's staring the whole time of that phone conversation. He's staring at the uh, Sports Illustrated cover. And her success is killing. Right. Right. And and everyone seems to understand that, including Tom Skerritt, who doesn't shoot him when he complains about it. So something else just occurred to me watching this. Uh, at one point, she does a routine to a fifth of Beethoven. Yes. I had a note about that, too. Go ahead. And it just occurred to me for the first time in my life that that is a play on words like a fifth of whiskey. It's a fifth of Beethoven. Oh. That's not the note that's I have, but that's I a great note. All right, please. <laughs> what Lay I had was that, that as shortly after this, it gets used in modern romance. And then I think right. is probably hopefully forever retired from film because after its modern romance usage like this, point, never <laughs> hearing that movie, that song again. There's a hilarious uh, Family Guy roller skating segment where they actually shot roller skaters and rotoscoped them, so it's like it looks way more sophisticated than any other Family Guy stuff, just yeah. to do it to a fifth of Beethoven, which is hilarious. So I, um, I like when I like when the sportscaster guy calls her after her accident. And she, we're seeing everything through her blind eyes, and everything's fuzzy. And Tom Skerritt yeah. says, "Hey, hey, your your man Brian is on the phone." And she's like, "I don't want to talk to him." And and so Tom Skerritt says, "What do I tell him that you just sit here and that you can't see?" <laughs> like that's that's, that's what he, <laughs> and, and she's like, "Yeah, I guess so. That's what you should say." 
And then I also don't understand. So then, then it cuts to Tom Skerritt, who's bowling in in the Ice Palace, but it's Colleen yeah. Dewhurst is sort of cleaning up in another section of her complex, and she hears the bowling, and she totally freaks out. And I'm like, why is Colleen so weirded out by the <laughs> yeah. fact that somebody's bowling she's in a so bowling mad alley? About? <laughs> I know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't quite understand what the shock was. Well, he was just kind of willy nilly bowling. He was, he seemed like maybe he was drunk or something, but. Yeah. He was messing up all the pins. And she, she had to set them up. Clothes. Yeah. yeah. She had set them up. Right. Do you remember uh, the pr- before automatic pin setters? I do not. Oh, for sure. There are still lanes that have that. If you go to like bowling alleys in school. Didn't you have a bowling alley, a lane in your school? No. We bowled Mike? at Bowmore. Yeah. At Xavier? Yeah. You didn't I have worked like- my, my senior year. The only the only academic success I had, I, I'm proud of or, or achieved was I arranged my gym credits so my senior year. I I took bowling when it was cold out and shuffleboard when it was hot out because we had a shuffleboard club. Oh, fantastic. Oh right, listen over at the over at the public yeah. high schools in Brooklyn. We didn't have any bowling class. You weren't allowed to take bowling as physics. I worked it. Yoga was like a big progressive. They thing. were busy teaching you, so that was <laughs> <Yeah>. the difference. <laughs> they were teaching you to think and stuff. No, that didn't no. take either. <laughs> no, the other options that year was you could do that or handball, a team handball and basketball. I was like, no, I, I'm going to whatever I need to do. That's going to be my senior year of gym class. I was on the bowling team for a couple of years in elementary Yeah, me school. too. And at age 13, yeah. I bowled a 258. I have never wow. once broken 125 since then. <laughs> Not once. So... All right, so um, I think my I think my favorite scene is probably Robbie is going is Robbie Benson teaching her how to skate again on the outdoor pond on the ice. I think that's a beautiful scene, and I think it's really nice. I loved I it. it yeah, plays, it, it plays without music, which I think is nice because this film is basically wall to wall Marvin Hamlish, and when it drops out, it's really effective. That it, and it, it's very quiet and and. And a nice bit of dialogue between them, and and some nice cinema. You know, this film is shot by Bill Butler, who um, I was looking at his credits, and I feel like has there ever been a cinematographer involved with more blockbusters than Bill Butler? I mean, he photographed Jaws, all of the Rocky movies, this movie. I mean, his wow. he's got like he's got to he's got to be the cinematographer in like twenty of the top grossing movies of all time. I wasn't familiar. Okay. Now I know. I wasn't either, and those are beautifully shot movies. As a, as an audience member, and not a film. So person. watching, especially when when Robbie is really driving her, you know, really encouraging her to skate again and helping her. I had an idea, as you did for a, a alternate universe. I had an idea for a sequel. What if Robbie went back to pre med and became a doctor and dedicated himself to curing her blindness? <sighs> A la oh, magnific- like magnificent, exactly. obsession. Like magnificent obsession. Yes. That would have been the right sequel. And then when she and that, and when right. she regains her sight, she goes back with the sports guy. Again, <laughs> yeah, right. He's a better kisser. Yeah, for sure. By the way, can we talk about that actor for a second who plays Brian? Yeah. His name is uh, uh field or something. Yeah, I lost it. Yeah, too. and he. I was looking his credits because because again he seems like a guy who would be in Cronenberg movies. David Huffman. David Huffman. He had a horrible fate. He was murdered when he was forty years old. Jeez. Uh, he was hanging out acting in some other production. Um, 
Here, I have his. I have this story. In 1985, he was fatally stabbed by a suspected burglar in San Diego. And the story about this burglar is so crazy. The burglary had nothing to do with David Huffman. David Huffman was hanging out outside of a theater or a, or a television studio in his car, and he was playing bagpipes, which is just weird. Uh, when this when this burglar runs past him, and then there's some Canadian tourist who I think the burglar had stolen something from, and he's chasing him down the street. And since David Huffman had a car, he started his car and followed this burglar into a park and he got out of his car and he chased him through this park. And when he finally caught up to him, the guy had a screwdriver and stabbed him twice in the chest with a screwdriver. And David Huffman was dead within like 30 seconds. And that was how David Huffman passed away. Yeah, That's terrible. Popped him like a bagpipe. Yeah. Thanks for bringing us down there. Well, thanks for coming up with the punchline there, Mike. <laughs> so, all right, let's uh, now bring us all back up. The, the big final, as we said, the, uh, she will not reveal that she's blind. She does the routine better than anyone has ever done the triple axel. Amazing. And um, they throw the flowers, and she trips on the flowers, and her secret is revealed. And that's yeah. the end of the movie. Everybody weeps except for me and Katie when we were, you know, probably, I don't know, 12 and 10. We were just <laughs> laughing and mocking her. <laughs> it was so wrong. But we were, society taught us to do that. I mean, look at the kinds we were of uncomfortable we were with our uh, emotions, I think. Yeah. One more shout out to David Huffman, who does have one of my favorite lines in the movie, although it's insanely awkward and not, I don't think it pays off in the way that they hoped it would. But he, when he when he's hiding out in the locker room, discovers that she's blind, and then Robbie Benson confronts him when he leaves and says, "Are you going to tell everyone that she's blind?" Huffman says, "You know, he gets offended at the idea that he was going to reveal any secrets to anybody." He says, "You know, not everybody who doesn't happen to be from Waverly is a complete shit," which probably was not a yeah. line that was on the TV version of it, but it's a, it's a pretty funny right. awkward zinger. <laughs> Waverly. All right. Yeah, there's all these like random things that don't really seem to be part of the story. Like, when has anyone ever accused outsiders <laughs> before? Or like when she's when she starts her routine, she says, "This is for my mother." There's not really right. a lot of that throughout the movie where she's like, you know, I mean, there are a few mentions of her mother, and then there's the scene with her and her mother's sweater, which completely offended yeah. Colleen Dewhurst. Uh, but <laughs> it just doesn't seem to be a, a through line in the movie to have to have earned that, that line at the end. No, you're right. Take that sweater off! <laughs> I wanted to ask, I was going to ask uh, the ladies here, if, if I just, you know, having only watched it twice, and having had, although I do find the scene between Tom Skerritt and Lynn Holly when they're on the ice before she goes away the first time, and she, you know, he's got her in his arms, and he's talking endlessly about the mom. I can't understand everything that he's saying. I sort of zone out, and I'm watching Lynn Holly, and it's a beautiful shot, another Bill Butler shot where you're you're seeing like Lynn Holly's eye, and you're seeing Tom Skerritt's shoulder in his arm, and it's really nice and touching. But I don't understand exactly what he's saying. Do we ever get the story of how and why the mother died? Like, was it skating related? Was it an accident? Was it an she illness? She definitely would. No, she was sick for sure. Because he's he's telling her the story about like, and she would bring you out here and teach you. 
and describe everything she was seeing. And then it got to the point where she could no longer leave the house and come out here. He says something to that effect. So I assume that she has cancer or some illness and uh, that she just can't get out of bed anymore. So that this kid remembers her mother, but doesn't remember that part of her mother teaching her to skate. And that's when she, isn't that when she says, I'm not, I'm not mom. Yeah. Which is so creepy, so creepy yeah. to me. That's another one that lands weird in 2020. We were talking about uh, yeah. on my other podcast about busted loose and Richard Pryor gets the kids to play strip poker, and it's like it's this it's to yes, set up a yes. gag because he's he, they beat him and he's just wearing long red underpants and he looks funny, but it would land very different in 2020 than it did in 1981. So, so let's talk a bit about Lynn Holly Johnson. Uh, Champion skater at age 15, joined the Ice Capades in 1977 when she was 18. Uh, For Ice Castle, she was nominated New Star of the Year at the Golden Globes. She lost to Bette Midler for the Rose. Uh, Wow. Also in the running, Bo Derrick in 10, Lisa Eichhorn in Yanks, a movie I've never seen. I love Lisa Eichhorn. Susan Anton. Susan Anton in Golden Girl, which I have seen. It's just hilarious. And that is the infamous award, the new Star Award that uh, Pia's Dora won in 1982 that was purchased by her arms dealer husband, Michelin Rickless. Well, well-deserved, well-deserved. Uh, after this, <laughs> yeah. um, Lynn Holly's uh, filmography is pretty crackpot cinema. She went on to The Watcher in the Woods, which I've never seen. Have you seen that? Anybody? No. That is a beloved, that's a, a cult movie. Uh, people who are, you know, our age group or so really like that. It's a Disney horror movie with Betty Davis. Um, right. For Your Eyes Only, she plays a skater named Bibi Doll. Bibi Doll, yeah. Yeah. The yes. absolutely appall- <laughs> appalling where, where the Boys Are 84 with Lorna Luft and Lisa Hartman. Uh, Angel River, which is an obscure Mexican Western ever. Alien Predators, which I've never seen, but I remember the box in the video store. The Sisterhood, which is a movie I had to watch for heavy metal movies. It's an Italian post-apocalyptic blowout mixed with sword and sorcery. Uh, Hyperspace, which has an interesting cast. Uh, Richard Norton from Force 5, Don Stroud, Ron O'Neill, Superfly, James Van Patten, and the professional wrestler Big John Studd. Who was like the only guy who was like big enough to fight Hulk Hogan at that point. Then he died from mm-hmm. doing steroids. And this one is a must to dig up. Uh, Digging Up Business from 1990. Rom-com set in a funeral home. Co-stars Ruth Buzzy, Billy Barty, Yvonne Craig, Batgirl, Murray Langston, the unknown comet, Linnea Quigley, the great scream queen, and Gary Owens, the laughing announcer, as Minister. And uh, I need the Blu-ray. That was it. And she kind of she kind of quit acting after that. Let me say this. I got two other things about Lynn Holly. First of Please. all, when she made Ice Castles, her only other acting experience had been, get this, playing Helen Keller in a Chicago area production of The Miracle Worker, also hey. starring Rita Moreno. And wow. I like them apples. So wow. she had some experience at doing the blind thing. And then more recently, right. and I mean very recently. I can't believe she wasn't afraid of being typecast. Exactly. <laughs> But then much more recently, like in the last month or two or in the last couple months, she made the news again because she and I believe her husband uh, contracted, 
yeah, contracted uh, COVID-19 after they attended the yearly James Bond party, which I didn't even know was a thing. But I guess the James Bond wow. production company holds a yearly sort of party. And it was over in England. And I guess they flew there and they came back and they had COVID. Damn. Yeah. She also had a, a heart attack at some doll. point. No, she had a, sure. a stroke or a heart attack or something at some <gasps> point, but but fully oh. recovered from that. Damn. Yeah. I mean, here's a question I have. Her and Robbie Benson, a lot of heart issues. Yeah. But they look good. Sure. Yeah. Like in 2020, they're both still really good looking. Mm-hmm. But here's my question. Do you... Because that's what matters right it now. It is. But do either one of you, Annie or Katie, think that this movie would have been... Uh, substantially better or or more interesting in a way if they had cast more of uh you know uh, an actor in that role or is it the is it the is it the idea that she's more of a blank canvas that you can sort of throw your own feelings and experience into is that actually work I loved watching her she's perfect I loved watching her I loved watching her skate you get the idea that she loves to skate because she actually does the real person and the actress. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved watching her. I mean, when she's sitting in that car with him every time, I'm like, this is like my childhood in Keensburg, like watching like blonde. That's where I mostly watch teenagers because we weren't in school. So like you'd see them at the beach, you'd see them at the pool. I should say Keensburg was my uh, grandparents' summer house uh Scenic Raritan Bay in Keensburg, New Jersey, home of the Keensburg Amusement. Right. And our, yeah. Where we spent a, a quarter of the year every year. For and of like the pack of kids that were there, uh, yeah. Mike and I were like the younger end of them. So we were always like these teenagers were always taking us places yeah. like to go see like fireworks or to the beach. And that every time I watched her, she looked like the quintessential like 1978 teenager. So I felt like, I think she was perfect in this role. I don't think I would have cared about this movie had it been somebody else. I agree. I thought she was, she was perfect. She's, there's an innocence and a blankness, uh, but also like you can see what a wonderful skater she is. And um, when I was watching it this time, I was, (laughs) it occurred to me that her hair, her very blonde hair is like a Barbie doll's hair. And Mm. In 1978, I was obsessed with Barbie dolls. So, yes, that would have been like that would have fascinated me so much at that time. Can I? I want to read from the end of Janet Maslin's pan of this movie that appeared in the New York Times. Um, uh, not that I agree with what she's saying at all, but I think it's interesting. And it also segues into her talking about the director of this film, which I want us to make sure that we talk about for at least a minute, because I realize yes. in Jeremy, I don't think we ever talked about the director. And I think it's, we, we probably should <laughs> throw some, some light on the director at some point. But anyway, Janet Maslin says, um, uh, played by the, uh, Miss Johnson, a screen newcomer who was formerly with the Ice Capades, Mike, has a role designed to make minimal demands on her acting abilities. For the most part, all she has to do is look uncomplicatedly sweet and skate. She seems to skate beautifully, but Mr. Rye, who's the director, who should have been forced to sit through the turning point until he got this right, captures skating scenes that are utterly without magic. By not showing any of Lexi's competitors on the ice, he makes it hard for an audience to appreciate her special talent. And by cueing his stadium crowds to leap to their feet and applaud Lexi's performance unanimously, he creates an unreasonably stacked deck. 
By shooting her inexplicably from the ice's point of view, he sometimes makes her look like an oncoming submarine. <laughs> so there you go. There's Janet. Janet. Janet in a bad mood. Completely disagree. Yeah. Me too, Andy. Completely disagree. Because here's the thing. Wonder. In 1978, like people, anyone seeing that movie knew what a good figure skater was. Like yeah. Dorothy Hamill had just, you know, there was a big craze about her. People would have, you don't have to see her competitors to know. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. And it's not really about ice skating. Right. At the end of the day. I mean, that's, it's not really about she does about skate ice- beautifully. She pulls that off. And, and she brings joy I, to it. Yeah. Like she looks joyful. Yes. yes. You know, and it's also that balance of here's something I absolutely love. And everybody's trying to control the way I do it. Yeah. And then she's it. very, yeah. yeah. And she's, she's very different. We talked about the hair before. Like she, she just looks different than mm-hmm. all the other skaters. Yeah. She's the only blonde in the movie, right? Her hair. Yeah. Well, her, she has long hair. Or maybe the French. Like Annie yeah. said, like Barbie. Right. There yeah. are the blondes, yeah. but they all have Dorothy Hamels, and she's right. the only one who has like silky, like corn silk kind of hair. And I felt the same way, Annie. I, almost, I like I wanted to touch her hair. Yeah. yeah, even now at almost fifty, I wanted to do that. <laughs> I know, like just like the way her ponytails, like yes. looks like I was like, that's my Barbie doll with the like that's how she comes with a ponytail, like just that kind of elastic holder. It was yeah. T- I never even strange. thought of it as a Barbie, and yeah. that is exactly what she looked like. Yeah, she was so appealing. Yeah. So the director is this guy, Donald Rye. And the two most interesting things to me, other than this movie, were, were both TV movies that he directed. Um, Born Innocent with Linda Blair, which I, to my knowledge, is maybe the most notorious TV movie ever. I mean, has there ever been a more, a more notorious Absolutely. TV movie? Do you, do you ladies know this one? Where Linda Blair winds up in jail and the, the other inmates take a... She's a kid. She's 14. She goes to like reform school, but it's jail. It's like a young yes, women's prison. I do remember and this. Do you remember what happens to her there? I'll tell you, when I, I watched this, you weren't there. Yes, we I watched, do. Yeah. I watched it in Keensburg, but I don't think you were there, Katie. And I didn't quite grasp it until like as a teenager, I saw it in college. And I was like, what did I just watch? This is insane. I probably would have understood it. I was pretty... uh perceptive with those things so then the other tv movie so i don't know that i saw it either until i was older yeah well what yeah, happened we should we we should say so she she gets brutalized in this one scene by the other girls with a broomstick and it's incredibly it's not graphic in terms of what you see but it is it, there's no mistaking what these girls are doing to her in this nbc tv movie. and you didn't realize that was happening then not quite. I mean, I was I was eight. I, yeah. Oh no, I think I saw it later, and like I yeah. understood. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it came out in '74, and I saw it a year or so after that. And then the other TV movie that he did back at that around the same time was Death Be Not Proud, which we talked about a little bit last week because that that might have been my first exposure to Robbie Benson. Um, and uh, then there he did a third TV movie, which I also have fond memories of. Um. Uh, it happened one Christmas with Marlo Thomas. Does anybody remember that one? I think I think Ted yeah. Ross maybe is in it too, or Ted. Yeah. So if I had no, uh, uh, BJ oh, yeah, from yeah, yeah, Mass yeah. from uh, uh, not BJ. I'm sorry, Trapper, Trapper John, John. Trapper um, John. Wayne, Wayne Rogers. Rogers. It's a remake of It's a Wonderful Life during that period where It's a Wonderful Life was not yeah. available. Yeah. 
So it was the only way to see that story. So, I mean, here's a guy that... Oh, I do kind of remember that. Yeah. Now, here's a guy, Donald Rye, who, you know, nobody ever thinks of ever, you know, ever for anything. But if I had that guy's resume, if I had directed Ice Castles and Born Innocent and Death Be Not Proud and It Happened One Christmas, I'd, I'd be pretty satisfied with it. I'll take that resume. I'll be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there you go. But then he fouled it all up by remaking Ice Castles in 2010. Oh, he directed the remake? Which I saw. I rented it from the Red Box. Yeah. Yeah, he directed it. Yeah. Oh, man. I refused to watch yeah, it. I did, too. I refused. I watch it. I watched it, and it opens the same way with you hear the through the eyes of love swelling up. But then there's like a, like a little hip-hop beat. And then it was covered by uh, Brit Nicole, who is a Christian pop star. Ugh. And uh, it was it was infuriating. It should have been called Ice Castle Stink is on it, Ice. That's what why would he even remake it? It was so yeah. perfect. The green, the bucks, yeah. the buckaroos. Is it like a scene-by-scene scene remake, or is it drastically different? I don't oh. remember. No, it's essentially the same story, yeah. Not scene-by-scene, because scene, it's... Yeah, I don't think she has... I don't remember. So wait a minute. You, you didn't can watch you it didn't, on, on Wait, uh, you didn't watch it for this podcast? You just watched it on your own? You red boxed it at some earlier point in your I life? I watched oh it 10 God. years ago when it came out at the red box. Yeah. 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 I had to know. Wow. Because it was the same director, right. I thought, you know, because I like finding like insane stuff. I thought, well, that's really off the you wall. No, it's hard. But I don't know that I watched the whole thing. You can't rely on that same so. director. No, but stuff. we also, uh, Ice Castle. Yeah. Like Ice Castles, we watched, I'm telling you. I think we watched it every weekend for like a year. So I felt compelled to watch it, and then I didn't because I just didn't think it would translate well. So uh, the theme song that we've talked about, Through the Eyes of Love, was nominated for a Best Original Song at the Academy Awards. It lost to It Goes Like It Goes from Norma Ray, which was sung by Jennifer Warnes, not Jennifer mm-hmm. Warren. Not a song I know at all. Was that the same year as uh, the Rainbow Connection? Yes, it was. That was also nominated. And that lost? Rainbow no. Connection didn't win that yeah. year? That shocking. lost, yes. That is shocking. They yeah. did not win. Yeah. Uh, That's political. They were supporting <laughs> the Union movie. Yeah. All right. All right. Righteously so. Uh, it's easy to say from 10, I'll never say goodbye from The Promise, which I've not, I don't remember that movie at all, with Catherine Ross and Stephen Collins. Which was also sung by Melissa Manchester. Oh, boy. She was the go-to. Through yeah. the Eyes of Love. Well, I, I, that same year, well, it's much like Maureen McGovern did the, you know, The Morning After from The Poseidon Adventure, and then did two songs in uh, Towering Inferno. <laughs> um, the same year, 78, Melissa Manchester had a huge hit with Don't Cry Out Loud, which I remember hearing at age nine and truly grasping the concept of schmaltz. <laughs> I was like, I understand now. When, when in Mad Magazine, they're talking about something that's schmaltz. I was like, Can this you sing is a couple measures from that, Mike? That one, it's like, baby used to cry when the circus came to town. So it's like, don't cry out loud. Oh, God, that's good. That's a Just good rendition. Just keep it inside. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, what was the last big schmaltzy hit ballad? I can't even think of like it. I might have to go back to like, I will always love you, man. What, what's about that Titanic one? Celine, it's got to be a Celine Dion song, whatever. It is. Oh, there you go. That's the answer. There you go. It's got it. Yeah, Titanic. There you go. Uh, so we'll just run through some other ice skating yeah, movies. Please. 
Hold on one second. I want to talk yeah. about Marvin Hamlish oh, yes. with the song. Oh, please. Because you oh, and yeah, I yeah, watched yeah, American please. Masters. We watched the American Masters on him, and it was great. Yeah. Yeah, in our respective cities, you know, yeah. texting each other, we watched American Masters, Marvin Hamlish. I cried through the whole thing because his story is beautiful. And uh, what he said was, was that he was asked to compose the music for Ice Castles. So he set his piano up with his back to the ice. And he listened to an ice skater skating and he played the measures. I guess I'm not a, I don't know if they're measures. He played like scales and measures, however the music goes. Um, and it sounds like ice. So if you really think about it, it's like, din, din, well, he, din, and it sounds what like he the, said was the, the rhythm was, as he was watching, it was like, dun, 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 zoom, dun, yeah. dun, dun, zoom. and that's what you hear is the, you know, Please don't let this feeling end. And it is like shh on the ice. Yeah. But the piano goes with it, like in that end. It's like goes all the way up high. Brooklyn boy. Just like all of us. Brooklyn people. Well, I'm not a boy. Either is Andy. No, no, I was saying Brooklyn boy. I said Brooklyn people. I followed up properly. He was a boy. Yes. You're people. We're all Brooklyn people. Okay. Some other ice skating movies. Sonia Henney. Never seen any of her movies, really only know her name as a punchline growing up in the 70s. She was an Olympic, a Norwegian Olympic ice skating star, made a lot of musicals in the 30s and 40s. Uh, Snow White and the Three Stooges with Carol Heiss, who was the U.S. gold medal winner in the 1960 Olympics. I woke up early, uh, they were showing it the day after Christmas in 1978. Do you remember Channel 7 had a morning movie that we've talked about? It might have been cut to an hour. Mm -hmm. The 10 a.m. movie. Yeah. And I woke up to watch that, and I was infuriated by how bad it was. And it was Curly Joe Dorita on top of everything. <laughs> on top of everything. <laughs> uh, Champions, a love story from 1979. TV movie with Jimmy McDickle and Joy DeLuke. Joy DeLuke. Uh, okay, dig this. He plays a teenage hockey player. She's a teenage figure skater, and they fall in love. And his mother is played by Jennifer Warren. Wow. So. Guess what? <laughs> uh, National Lampoon's Attack of the Five Foot Two Woman. Oh, that that was that was late. That was ninety four. Double feature spoof movie. Julie Brown play white Julie Brown playing parodies of Tonya Harding and Lorena Bobbitt. The Cutting Edge, uh, which was a hit movie, Great movie, played constantly on HBO. I only ever watched it drunk with Alan Broadman, and we enjoyed it. Uh, it spawned three sequels: The Cutting Edge, Go for the Gold, The Cutting Edge. Uh, Something else. And the cutting edge fire and ice. Uh, Blades of Glory, the Will Ferrell Napoleon Dynamite movie, which I thought was funny. And I, Tonya, a film I, I truly despised. So, Anyone have any thoughts on those? I, I like I, Tonya, and hated that too. Will Ferrell thing. So I'm the opposite of you. All right. I love the cutting edge. That's Me the too. only one I've seen. I think both. I saw cutting edge. And it's yeah. also a hockey player I, who falls in love. Yeah. It's oh, a hockey yeah. player and a figure yeah, skater. Sweeney. He gets yeah. hurt, right? Doesn't he get? Right. I don't. He can't play hockey anymore, so, so he, he has to figure, figure skate. skate. Yeah. Have we mentioned that Jennifer Warren was also in Slapshot? I can't remember if we. Yeah. Did, we did. Play, yes, we did. We did early <laughs> okay, on. Good. It's been a long so, episode. Uh, but take us. What else was playing the day? I'm that? super excited to talk to do this segment uh, because I don't think this is a 
this film was reviewed and I think released Friday, February 23rd, 1979. And I don't think this is a time period we've covered on our episodes yet. So there's lots of no. lots of fun stuff. And I'm going to start with what was playing on Broadway because it's an exciting time on Broadway. Uh, Neil Simon's Chapter 2 was playing at the Eugene O'Neill Theater. Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury and Lynn Carrieu was playing at the Eurus Theater. And I know that... Uh, my grandparents took me. Annie, did you get to go see Sweeney Todd on Broadway? Oh, wow. Sorry. No. Sorry about that. Um, I believe hey, I saw... I saw it on PBS. That was yeah, it. I think I saw this cast. I think I saw it with Angela Lansbury. Um, uh, you could also go see An Evening with Quentin Crisp uh, live on stage. Oh, love that guy. Here's uh, a show that I don't know, but I wish I had been able to go see. Bruce Dern and Lois Nettleton in a play called Strangers. I would love to see Bruce wow. Dern live on stage. How great would that be? Yeah. And speaking of great to see live on stage, Mike, hold on to your seat and your hat and everything else. Yeah. Uh, Death Trap, uh, starring Stacy Keach, was on Broadway. Oh, man. Love Stacy Keach. Yeah. Uh, now, Katie, you l- saw... The, now, you saw the show Solitary Confinement with Stacy Keach. Yes. And you, I remember, told me about it, and then I went to go see it by myself and completely loved it. Loved it. It was, yeah, yeah it loved it. Yeah. And he plays all the roles. Yes. Yeah. yeah it, That's I the loved big secret it. of the show, that he played yeah. every character that was on the, that appeared on stage, yeah. Yeah. That was great. Theatrical magic, yes. But did you tell me that there's some sort of, like, hologram type stuff going on in that show? How does it work? No, there's video screens. There were, like, security cameras. And there's, there's somebody else on stage with him at some points. But any time the face turns around, it was it was Stacy Keach. Like the guy had a mask on and he pulled it off, and it was Stacy Keach. And then there was a, he had a suit of armor and he pulled it off, and it was Stacy. It was I mean, amazing. Went, it was like full of energy. Yeah, I saw Death Trap on. Got Broadway. terrible reviews. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't I don't remember ever hearing. Annie, do you remember this show? No, it bombed. Yeah. Hmm. No, it bombed. We yeah. saw it in preview. Yeah. I oh, saw okay. it in preview, and then it bombed, yeah. But, Mike, how old were you that you went to see this by yourself? Uh, 25 or something? I mean, it was 92. Oh, okay. Oh, it's, it's like later 23? on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were adults. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 23. I wonder, I don't know who I saw in Death Trap. I wonder if I saw Stacy Keach in Death Trap. Hmm. Joel Gray was on Broadway with something called The Grand Tour. Oh. And Francis Sternhagen was alive on stage doing On Golden Pond. I didn't um, even know that was a play. Apparently it was. Apparently it was. So uh, movies that were showing the day that uh, Janet Maslin panned Ice Castles. Uh, all over the place, including in Brooklyn, the Granada, the Marlboro, and the Metropolitan Quad was Midnight Express. Good movie. Saw that on Channel 7. At the Ziegfeld, Murder by Decree. The Bob Clark, uh, Sherlock Holmes movie. Christopher Plummer and James Mason, David Hemmings, an all-star cast. I don't know. I guess I've seen that movie. Direct. I can't. I, I don't remember. But I, I feel good. like I have. Yeah. Directed by Bob Clark, who made A Christmas Story and Porky's. And Black Christmas. And Black Christmas. Yeah. Man of many genres. And Death Dream. And Death Dream. Which is a that great might be channel the best. Yeah. For you. yeah. Yes. We should. We have to do an episode on Death. Death Dream, Dream is definitely coming up. Yeah. Uh. A movie that came up in the 
most recent episode of Crackpot Cinema was on uh, in the theaters. Richard Pryor live in concert. Oh, brilliant. Um, Beyond. Although it looks like it was only playing at one theater in Brooklyn, and that was the Albemarle. Oh, yeah. Which is all right uh, on Church De- Avenue. Yeah. The Deer Hunter was playing at the Carnet. Um, and a movie that I've never seen, but Mike, I feel like you have many times. Hardcore with George C. Scott. Oh my God! Movie. You've never seen it. <laughs> no. Oh my God! That's my co-host. He's never seen Hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's my parody because the tagline is "Oh my God, that's my daughter." Yeah. Uh, but George wow. C. Scott was yeah. married to uh, Kelly Do- Dewhurst twice. 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 Yeah. Twice. twice. She was up against that movie with Ice Castles. How about it, you that? know, it's interesting because she is kind of like a female George C. Scott. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't have the same kind of like glamour cachet as Liz and Dick somehow. George C. and Colleen Dewar. Mm-hmm. I'll take them over uh, Liz and Dick. I'll take them all. In fact, when I was reading about Colleen Dewhurst, we didn't get to really talk about too much during the episode. One of the things that she did was she did Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf uh, on Broadway. Ah. She was uh, the lead in that. So there you go. It's a small world. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, the Warriors, directed by Walter Hill, was playing at the Georgetown. The Another Kenmore. one of our movies. Yeah. We used to watch oh, that yeah? a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was definitely another one of ours. That was at the Georgetown, the Kenmore, the Oceana, which I don't think I've said on this podcast before, but that's another great theater from back in the day. The We've Oceana. talked about the Oceana, yeah. Oh, okay. Because they had a lot of like grindhouse kind of movies. Yeah. Yeah. And also at the Lowe's Oriental. Uh which is the, the best. Great Train The Great Train Robbery was playing. Uh never saw that's it. a good movie. Oh, what? <laughs> never saw uh, that one. <laughs> Uh, not since The Sting has there been a movie that so happily combines a crime, the devilish and engaging rogues who carry it out, the cheerful use of music, elegant costumes, and such stylish character acting. A wonderful, quite wonderful movie. That quote, that pull quote is from none other than Gene Shalit, talking about The Great Train Ride. And that is my review of Hardcore. That's the exact same review <laughs> I would give to Hardcore. Uh-huh. Picnic at Hanging Rock was at the Little That's Carnegie. That's a great movie. What's the little Carnegie? Was that was it like a sort of a smaller theater next yeah, to the Carnegie? It was yeah, yeah. It was yeah. That's exactly what it was. Have you ladies ever seen Picnic at Hanging Rock? No, uh-huh. but you referred to it a lot in one of these episodes. It's great. It's it's a it's a great movie. I love that movie. You know what's interesting about that is that I'm a I think I'm about to come up on an ad, if I remember correctly, for um The Last Wave. So Peter Weir had two films playing oh, yeah. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That was the that you know the big Australian new wave that was happening. You know, Mad Max came out the same year. It was you know they had their moment. Gallipoli, amazing stuff. Yeah. So here's an ad for Ice Castles starting today at Columbia Premier Theaters. Does anyone know what the tagline for Ice Castles was on the print ads? No, mm-hmm. damn. Was it when tragedy struck, love came to the rescue? Oh, are you looking at the DVD? <laughs> no, but that's not it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I was going to say, that's okay. a great, you came up with a great line. It's better than the one they had in the ad. Um, uh, the, the ad says, together, they reached for the impossible. Oh, that's and so like, got, generic. 
Show me the show me the cover of the DVD, Annie. I don't know if it's the same picture. It's got Robbie Benson. He's standing on the ice. Oh, it is that. Yeah, he's standing on the ice in sneakers. And she's uh-huh. got, is that a flower in her hand? Is that a rose in her hand? It's a flower in her hand, exactly. Is that a scene from away the, the movie, whole though? End of the movie. But that's not an actual no. scene no. from the movie, is it? No, it's just the embodiment of the spirit. Beautiful. Um, I just want to interrupt for a second because it brings to mind, you know, we, another movie we're going to eventually do with Robbie Benson is One on One, since we both saw the theater and loved it. Yeah. And I was just looking at posters of that, and that has a hilarious tagline, which was, it's about when love stops looking like a ball and starts looking like a woman. <laughs> <laughs> that is <Wow>. unbelievable. <laughs> uh, Jane Fonda, John Voight, and Bruce Dern in Coming Home All right. was playing Good movie. that day. Uh, a little something called Animal House oh, was in theaters. Fine film. That was and in Brooklyn. That was at the Alpine, the Canarsie, the Chopin. I guess is that how yeah, people would the say Chopin, that? Yeah, the Chopin. Yeah, yeah. We've looked, we've researched that. I forget. It must have been like in Greenpoint. Chopin, the Polish composer. So also at the Graham and at the theater that I'm sure I saw Animal House out the Midwood. Ah, the Midwood. Remember the Midwood, the Midwood Annie. Wow. The Midwood and the College. Those were my joints. Uh, the Brinks Job was playing. Never saw it. Not a bad, Peter not a Falk. bad film. A strange. It's directed by William Friedkin, which is a very strange sort of. It, yeah, wow, that I didn't even realize. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Neil Simon's California Suite with Richard Pryor. Good movie. Uh, yes. And Doctor uh, William New H. York Cosby is, uh PhD. Yeah. Here's something that I need to ask everyone here. This is the the New York experience was playing. I know Mike famously never got to see the New York experience. <laughs> never got to Annie go. And Katie. Okay, I saw it. I cannot I say enough. Did you see it, Annie? Yeah. So I went with our aunt. Uh, Mike and I are from like a big family, and our co- we're pretty tight with our cousins. I'm we still grew up with like ten cousins that were like siblings to us. They were like, and they still are, like in in my world, because we're all at the beach club together and stuff. So my aunt Dan took a bunch of us um, to see the New York Experience. I remember every single detail of it. I try to have conversations with people about it. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. I don't know why they've never resurrected it. My favorite wow. part was when Annie. Do you remember? <laughs> They hang, they lynch, there's like mutiny on Henry Hudson's ship and they hang him and the dummy falls out of the ceiling with the noose. Yeah, I remember that. You remember, that was my favorite. I loved it so much. And we went around, I feel like it was not long after Christmas because we went to see like the tree and the windows. They had my aunt's. On the other side of her family, she had uh, kids in from California. That's how and they were like, let's just all go see the tree. And we ended up going to the New York experience. And I think we did it because something else was sold out, like the Rockettes. Mm-hmm. But it was great. I remember the movie, the sheet, the yeah. seat shaking. Yep. I love it so much. I, it, it's bringing Once back again, I got memories. no such affection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right. No, I'm sure they I asked her if I wanted to go. And I was like, no. Yeah. So I think it might have just been girls. Oh, okay. It was like Mary right. Lynn, Andy, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bethy. Okay, so it was a girl's day out. So I okay. think it was like a girl yeah. thing. All right. That's fine. 
my 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 memory is that it was that I went more than once, but always as a school field trip. Like it was always like tied to school. But I could be wrong about that. Annie, what do you think? I feel like we saw it with like our grandparents or something. It was probably a similar thing where we saw the yeah. windows and the tree and something right. else. Yeah. And my tragic like story is that my class was going and I got sick that day. Your class was going to see yeah. it? Second grade, yeah. Yeah, we never went on trips, yeah. so. Um, Superman was playing. All right. At the Benson, the, the Harbor, the Kenmore, King's Plaza, Kingsway, and the Metropolitan. What were you going to say about it, Mike? Not that I saw it at the Metropolitan. No, 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 not the Metropolitan. I saw it. With, what would have been the biggest theater, then, in Bensonhurst? If it wasn't at the Oriental. The Oriental? It wasn't at the Oriental, though. The Oriental's at TJ Maxx now. Yeah, that's a tragedy. I don't know. Maybe it moved from whatever that theater was I saw it. That was, was my the... go-to. I loved seeing movies there. Where was the Benson and where was the Harbor? It must have been the Benson. It must have been the Benson that I saw it on. You know, Uncle Ange took us to the Benson. That's, that's what it was. Where we yeah, would go yeah. with him? Either yeah. the Oriental or the Benson. Yeah. So that's where I saw yeah. it. Now we know. Because I remember seeing For Your Eyes Only with him, driving us in the Cougar. Those were the times. Hev- Heaven Those were can- the times. They were good times. Heaven Can Wait was playing. I think maybe I saw that with my grandparents. Annie, did you, do you remember seeing Heaven Can Wait in the movie theater? Yeah, I do. But I don't remember who was. Warren Beatty. I liked well, that yeah. movie. I saw it. I saw it at the Colonial in Keensburg. Loved it. Still love it. Oh, oh, really, Mike? I thought last time this came up, you're like, yeah, it's all right. (laughs) I was wrong. Now I've okay. No, I loved it too. No, no, I love having him. I also, I want to point out, I was eight and I saw all of these movies that were not necessarily appropriate. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to say, I don't think I understood what was going on in Heaven Can Wait, but I liked it. It was a movie. That was always my thing. I like. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings was playing, the Ralph Bakshi version of Lord of the Rings. I saw that at the Colonial during the winter. One time we went to Keensburg, yeah. It was only at the Metropolitan at this point in time in Brooklyn. I have no affection for that film or the other Lord of the Rings. I didn't see it. Annie, you ever, did you ever see, did you ever even bother seeing the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings movies? I don't even know. I have, yes. I saw them all. Uh, Norma Ray was confused. <laughs> oh, do you want to say anything about him? I'm sorry. I, did, I got the vibe that you... Not really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all right. uh, what about Norma Ray? You want to hear a... Si- yeah, go ahead. I'll Jane. tell you a sad thing. I, I referred... So I'm a teacher and I work for the city and I'm a proud union member. And right now our union is working very hard for our safety. Um. But I did refer to somebody as Norma Ray, and of course I work in Manhattan, so my the staff is relatively young, and nobody in the room knew what I was talking about. I was yeah. like, "How do you not know that movie?" Well, it's forty-one years ago. Go, at this point. But but it's it's as far as like the story. Of yeah, the yeah, you're right. It's the America, movie. Yes, yeah. yeah. The story of saving people yeah. from. You know, terrible employers. Yeah. Like that's. I feel like it's your responsibility as a mother to make sure your kids watch that at some point. The reason I remember that the Norma Ray movie 
the song was against the Rainbow Connection is because I that was I resented that yeah. so much when Rainbow Connection did not win the Oscar that year, and I I just all I I never saw Norma Ray. I understand how important it yeah. is as a union movie, but. Uh, I always resent it for having won the Oscar over the Rainbow Connection. Understandably so. Well, I think, and Ice Castles now right. too. That's terrible. I I think it's it's probably easier to try to name any years that people shouldn't resent the, the <laughs> song in, in, in an Oscar movie. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, what was there was that there was that one year that Elliot Smith was at the Oscars. He Mis- did, misery. Didn't, that didn't song didn't yeah, win. Yeah, yeah, but that didn't win, did it? I think it did. I don't think so. Did it? I don't know. I think, I think so. It- yeah, I could be wrong. That was ninety six. It would be shocking to me. The if Will Hunting one. I don't remember Elliot. Elliot Smith was there. He played the song, but I don't remember him getting like up. And he played the song. And it was like, dude, shampoo, please, man. <laughs> You're on television. <laughs> Did you used to see Elliot Smith at the but, bars all the time in New York, Mike? I no. did. And I didn't no. even hang out at bars. No. Huh. How was that possible? I wouldn't have known who he, he was. wasn't really, at downtown that Beirut. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. Right. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah. But Annie, uh, not that long ago, I'm going to say about 10 years ago, um, I was in the Hamptons and uh, with my family, and Paul Williams oh, was sitting gosh. on a bench next to me. And I said to my husband, take a picture and get Paul Williams in. And he didn't know who I was talking about. And he took the picture of, he knew who Paul Williams was. But when I said it, he didn't realize it was like Paul Williams, you know. And he took the picture of just me. He cut him out. (laughs) I'm just just Paul Williams' arm. I was dying. I texted Mike. I was like, you're not going to believe this. Paul Williams is sitting next. It was unbelievable. I have a very similar story, but it doesn't have the unhappy ending. I was in an <laughs> airport uh, maybe 10 years ago with my family, and it was uh, it was a pretty empty airport, and we were sitting waiting for our, our flight, and there was only one other person sitting in the waiting area with us. And I looked, and I, then I looked again, and I looked a third time, and I was like, oh, God, that's Al Roker. Oh, and wow. I had my son Jack sort of wander over towards where Al Roker was sitting, and then took a picture of the two of them and and sent it to everyone. Look, we're in the we're in a waiting room with Al Roker <laughs> at the airport. Well, and so that reminds me of when we were uh, flying to Madison for for your fiftieth birthday surprise party, you and you and Katie, and Tom Wopat wow. was sitting in the seat behind me and Radley, and I didn't. All I heard was this crazy man just. Talk, they could not stop, could not shut up. And then he finally said to the flight attendant, I'm Tom Opat. Wow. <laughs> and that's how we knew. And so I, so I had, so my sister Barbara and her family were sitting uh, a few rows behind us. So I wrote, I, I wrote a note to them, Tom Opat is sitting behind us. And I had to pass it down to them so that wow. they would know. Very we funny. saw Tom Opat, wow. Katie, in 42nd Street. Because he became a big Broadway. Star. I met Tom, I met Tom Wolpat backstage with my okay. friend who is a Broadway actress, and they call him T Wo. T Wo, oh man! And yeah, I met him. Uh, I was pregnant with Leo. She was in. Oh, I can't remember, but she's a pretty big Broadway actress, and he he was backstage, and we were all like, "Wow, this dude, you know." <laughs> It was, the flight attendant did not know oh, who he was. 
But then she came back later and she said, I told the pilot and he was so excited. I'm sorry, I didn't really order <laughs> they start doing like, <laughs> But right. she knew it was important. They start speeding around thing. in the plane and making sharp turns going like, yeah. <laughs> okay. This is turning into the best episode ever and an opportunity, an opportunity for me to plug the 70 movies we saw in the 70s patreon oh yes please uh, account yeah, time for that again yeah. <laughs> we have this patreon yeah. account for five bucks a month you can get exclusive video and audio excerpts and we post or at least i do post no, all the does. notes yeah, that ben i have for every show patreon. i don't know sorry everybody yeah but i start i need those I'll notes from you, right Mike. i need your end of this <laughs> yeah thanks um so uh tom wopat uh, has a Wisconsin connection. I can't. I can't remember if he's from Wisconsin or. He, but anyway, he, um, and a, and a Madison connection. And he they 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 did these yearly theater awards uh, for like high school theater productions and stuff. And they called them the Tommies, and it was named after Tom oh, Lopez. Class. But um, he also was got involved with a, a yearly fundraising event for the Children's Theater of Madison, and he was going to be appearing at this fundraiser. And um, a coworker of mine at the university was a huge Tom Wopat fan, but she was sick and uh, was was home uh, for a long time. Uh, but we knew this about her, and so we decided we were going to go to this Children's Theater of Madison benefit, and we were going to find Tom Wopat. And we were getting to get him. We were going to buy her a pair of pajamas, and get him to sign pajamas for her, and then give them to her as a gift. So I got somehow got into this fundraiser, and I was sitting at this table, and it was like a black tie affair. And I had bought this fancy sort of tuxedo jacket um, specifically for the occasion, and it was it was really quite something. And you'll see it because I'm going to post this picture that I'm about to describe on our Patreon account exclusively for our Patreon members. (laughs) So anyway, I'm sitting there and Tom Wopat's on stage and he's like the MC of this long night of like song and dance and all sorts of stuff. And he keeps coming on and off the stage in between acts. And I'm sitting there in my fancy tuxedo jacket, which everyone that saw me was like, oh, that's a great jacket. So I'm sitting there minding my business and it's sort of the show is nearing its end. And all of a sudden there's this tap on my shoulder and I turn around and it's Tom Wopat who would come off stage and he's like, Dude, I just got to tell you, that jacket is absolutely fucking amazing. Wow. And I said, oh, my God. I said, first of all, I need you to sign these pajamas. And second of all, (laughs) hang on, I need to get a selfie. So I've got this selfie of Tom Wopat with his arms around me and my dopey tuxedo jacket. And of course, like, you know. That's great. Within a year, he was embroiled in scandal. And so this this plain story, you know, made perfect sense to me. He's a... (laughs) He's kind of a mess of a man, but for that one night, it was it, it was, was everything. Best, yeah. yeah, you got T. Wot. Catch me if you can was the play. Oh. Catch me if you can. They made right. it a Broadway play, and I actually knew two people in it, so I saw it twice. Well, there's a couple more movies that were playing, but who cares? Who can who can no, talk? I think our that's Tom it. Will I think it's time to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do, but wasn't over the edge that year. The next year. So yeah, no, they were the same. They were sort of the same year, but then Over the Edge didn't come out really till '81. Okay. Tom um, Opat stories were it were the we forgot about the flowers. No. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's end on that note, please, because that is perfect. Thank you, thank you, women thank of you sisters for, for representing thank you, so thank well. You, yeah, You're very welcome. Switchblade sisters. Switchblade sisters. Yes.
Yeah.